Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by co-host in exile, Ollie Brady, to talk about season one of the Wheel of Time TV series. Ollie, co-host in exile, welcome. I'm, I'm delighted I'm finally starting to get like an actual title. Co-host in exile, um, <laughs> co-host emeritus, I could be going that way. Um, True. Yeah, uh, just how about wronged former co-host <laughs> that also works for me but um, yeah i'm delighted sir I'm, I'm i'm excited to talk about this uh this tv show because as you know wheel of time is my favorite fantasy series of all time in fact it's my favorite series of books of all time so i'm yes. i'm delighted anytime i get a chance to talk about it i'm a little bit worried about how much there is for you to talk about as oh, you a know, I'll have expert to on say. No, I know, I know you will. I have no doubt you will. I just, I, in comparison to the last episode I was on, where we talked about the Green Knight, where it, there was just so much that you could talk about. I'm like, what is Sarah going to talk about in the Wheel of Time TV show? Like, what is she going to fit into uh, Veritas et Falso? But anyway, we'll get to that. I will have thoughts. I'll have there. thoughts about visual culture. You know I love talking about... Uh, architectural choices, right and wrong, that people make in things set in or inspired by the Middle Ages. Yeah, I I actually do know you love talking about that. I think sometimes I have described it as, please stop talking about that. But But I never will. I never will. We'll see as we get on. Sarah, just a quick question. Uh, You've started a new semester this week? I have, yes. I just started in the week of recording and just started teaching my three courses for the semester. And how did your students react to your uh, your reading list for your film course? They were excited and intrigued, I will say. I am doing my Medieval at the Movies class. We are starting with Braveheart, which I told them that they don't need to feel obligated to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but we are also doing 13th Warrior in the class. We are doing my favorite medieval movie, The Little Hours. Sarah, mm-hmm. it's not your favorite. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my I, favorites. I I remember talking about it with you, and you definitely enjoyed it more than I did. But it's come on, it's not your one favorite. of my. Fa- it's one of my favorites. Oh, um, excellent, excellent movie. I highly recommend it. I'm also talking about my least favorite medieval movie, Elsid. And so it is even less favorite than Kingdom of Heaven. I think so. I think it might be. But I'm excited to talk about it because I'm going to do an exercise where I'm going to write down every time they say the word Spain. 
when talking about an entity which is not in fact actually Spain because Spain is not a meaningful geo like geopolitical designation in the eleventh uh, century, eleventh twelfth century. So, am I right in saying that there's a TV show version of that about to? There is. It's the first season has uh, is out already. At least the first season. Uh, I need to watch it at some point. Well, that's not going to help us with Wheel of Time, so... It's not, now, But it's also on Amazon, so... Oh, so it'll be lots of money thrown at it, but not necessarily mm-hmm. exceptional. <gasps> Is that a spoiler for my my thoughts on Might season be. one of Wheel of Time? We'll find out soon. Whereas I have uh, high hopes for it. Is that a spoiler? Who knows? So today's media is the Wheel of Time TV series, which was released in November to December of 2021 on Amazon Prime. And so, okay, a note before we get going. So Ollie, you've read all of the books five million times. Yes, too too often. Yeah, and so I've read the entire series once, uh, and uh, which I think took me about a year and a half-ish. It was Something way faster like than I expected. Yeah, I'm. I think based on what you just said, I think I'm a faster reader than you are, um, in terms of like my regular reading. Because I feel like probably, I don't know. I don't know. Because I and I read things in between too. But yeah, but I but I read a probably probably I'd say each book probably took me like a week or two weeks. But I don't necessarily. I certainly don't like read in like six hour stretches or anything usually. So. Yeah, I know. I remember Sarah going through them, and I was genuinely impressed with how quickly she did them. And also, just to remind people that she wrote a book uh, while while reading that series. I did. I did write a book. Uh, I will. I'm going to go ahead and plug the fact, actually, that I am going to have two books released in 2022, uh, one in May and one in September. Humble brag. That's not even a humble brag. That's just a brag. I'm just bragging now. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not being humble. I have pre-ordered one of them. And then Sarah told me the oh. other one was going to be way more expensive. <laughs> and I went, well, it's that seems like more of a textbook, Sarah. And uh, I mean, there's no point in me having a textbook in my house. Yeah, the the book that is out now is... I Or the book that is now available for pre-order. That's the one that I would say people who are not academics are more likely to find interesting, I guess. The other one is very much like, the other one has tables, so it's like serious business. Oh, well, you've sold me. I'm a, I'm a physics guy. I love the idea of a yeah. good table. But that's not talking about Wheel of Time TV series, which it's released not. in November to December 2021, Sarah. It's not. But okay, oh, but I was mentioning that we've read all the books because... I think that we should make this episode accessible to those people who have not read the books or at least not read the whole series and are watching along with the TV show. So there will be spoilers through season one of the TV show and we'll talk about differences that come up from the books. But I think we should try to avoid spoiling big things that happen subsequently in the book in term, in the books in terms of character arcs. You have no idea how much you've just hamstrung me and how <laughs> difficult it would be for me to to do this. But I will. Of course I will. Um, yes. Uh, the, the book stroke, sorry, the book, the show technically uh, contains scenes from the prequel and scenes from 
uh, the beginning of book two, uh, The Great Hunt, and yes. one scene which would have taken place in book three, um, The Dragon Reborn. But it's okay, I, with the exception of talking about the Horn of Valir, which yeah. is in season one, and where it is located and what happens with it, we won't be spoiling anything else that happens after book one in the series. Yeah, and we can indicate, you know, some kind of vague things maybe about character arcs, but not go into detail. Uh, so we'll we'll try to, as I said, make this, uh, yeah, accessible for anybody who has not yet read the books. Uh, but yes, and for anybody, of course, who wants to hear our full discussion or as full as was feasible, uh, you can listen to the total of four hours of us discussing it over two podcast episodes, the entire book series. Okay, so uh, first of all, let's get into a little bit about our cast. So uh, the showrunner is Rafe Judkins. And if anybody would like to know Rafe Judkins' prior claim to fame, it was that he was actually on the TV show Survivor. I I discovered that the other day. Myself and Sarah were joking, and I, I pointed out that loads of people have become either Rafe supporters or Rafe haters, if you listen to the, the online discourse. Like, it, it's focused around Rafe. And I was like, Rafe Judkins. And Sarah said, it sounds like a made-up name. And I said, it sounds like somebody who was on The Bachelorette, like one of the boys from The Bachelorette. And we looked it up, and it turns out that he was actually on Survivor. Like, he right. he took part in Survivor. That was his first his first appearance on TV, his first TV related thing. So I just think it's funny that yeah. it's sometimes names, people just live up to their name and Rafe Judkins sounds like a reality Apparently. TV show contestant. Yeah. And what I thought his name sounded like is I thought he sounded like a minor villain on Justified. So with Justified getting a, a new season soon, I guess we'll see if there is a minor villain named Rafe Judkins. Mid-season villain Raylan <laughs> against Rafe. Rafe versus Raylan. So let's talk a little bit about the cast for the show. And the first thing, by the way, that I am going to say at the outset is they seem to have uh, very deliberately, I would say, kind of really embraced having a very diverse cast. And I think that is awesome. And I think that if you are not in favor of that because, oh, they don't look exactly like I thought they looked in the books because I thought this person was white and blonde. If you think that you're a racist, fuck off. You can stop listening to this podcast now. Wow, Sarah, that's, you're coming out strong with the... Uh, I am coming out strong. With the, with the O word. I would have like uh, buttered them up a little bit before that. But yeah, um, if you don't want to watch the show because the girl who's playing um, Nineveh isn't white, uh, don't don't listen to this, this is not the, podcast. This is not the podcast for you. It's not the podcast you for right you. Just get, get out of here. Like. Um, I, I'll talk about the uh, the casting for a bit, if, if that's okay. Um. So I've read the books a lot and mm-hmm. a lot of people who, this is going to be a running theme, is people who are completely anti this aspect of the show and people who are completely and utterly defending this aspect of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are anti this aspect of the show, as in the, some of the main characters are not white and they go, oh, that's not how I pictured them and I can't get it and it's changing my head canon you're a racist fine. like that that's it yeah like, that's it if, yeah. if you don't Fuck get off. it you don't get it that's fine um but then people come to defend it and go oh they're never it never it never explicitly says that Egwene is white in the books and yeah it's not repeated every second page 
and it's not it never like Jordan didn't write and Egwene as a white woman like it, that was never written but Egwene in the books is white it's written twice she's compared to the petal of a daisy at one stage to talk about right. how pale she yeah. looks this fine right. I just don't think but, it matters no but that's what I'm saying is it's not a huge major issue so the people who are being racists about this and as I said if you if you can't watch the show because Lan is Asian as it is played by yeah. an Asian American actor you're nobody racist. cares you're you're the problem like you're the yeah. problem with that um what I'm saying is the people who are coming along to defend it and go, well, it never explicitly says X, Y, and Z. You don't have, like, it does. It does explicitly say these things in the books. It's just not a major part of the book. Right. I just don't think it really matters. Right? Like, the the physical appearances of the, okay, with a couple of, like, things here and there, right, that it's, like, there are certain things about the way in which, like, Rand looks different to some extent from other people around him. And, we and you know, we and there's people, like, saying, like, oh, you look like you're an ideal. Other than something like exactly. that, right? There's nothing about the specific physical appearances of the character, of any of the characters, that really matters at all to the plot. And so, yeah, just cast the people you think are going to be a good representation of that character in terms of the way they're giving a performance. That's what actually matters. Their skin color, physical appearance is irrelevant. Like, y- you'll figure out who they are. You'll be fine. You can handle it. People identify with characters, racists identify with color. That's it. So if the color of their skin is causing you a hassle, that's an issue you have in yourself and you need to work on that. All right. It might not be the way you pictured them in your head, but that's not. But you'll live with it. Who cares? It doesn't mean the show is being woke to cast somebody who's not. But my favorite thing about this is uh, somebody posted a picture in the official Wheel of Time. um, I think it was on their Twitter. And. It's a picture of Rand with the rest of the villagers. And somebody replied with, oh, the thing about Rand in the books is he's meant to stand out amongst the rest of the Two Rivers people. And this guy doesn't stand out. What? It was so funny. He stands out more. He stands out more because he's literally the white guy with red hair in a town full of mixed race or darker skinned yeah. people. No, if like, anything, he stands out more than I feel like he does in the books because he looks like literally <laughs> nobody. He's like the only blonde guy in all of Two Rivers. Even or like his strawberry dad. blonde. Uh, yeah, oh no, he's a ginge. Like, Sarah, <laughs> stop being nice, right? He's he is a ginge. There's no strawberry blonde to this guy. He's one step away from being Beaker. Like, um, a, a very beautiful Beaker, but Beaker. Uh, but who, who are the main cast, Sarah? So the main cast are Rosamund Pike as Moraine, who of the main cast is the only one who I would say was like very much a kind of, at least in the U.S., was like very much a kind of like well-known, like everybody knows who Rosamund Pike is. She's the titular Gone Girl. Um, and <laughs> she's, uh, she's a Bond girl. Uh, she is Carl Urban's sister in the doom movie with the rock um hmm. that's a that's it that's that's my yeah. that's my rosamund pike knowledge she was nominated for an oscar twice i think right right um yeah she's a, she's a great actress yeah yeah she is somebody who's uh quite well known and is very much the kind of big name i would say associated with the cast of the show and she is playing maureen and it's uh and i feel like that actually really works because it's very much like I feel like it in some way like adds to Moraine's like aura of authority. 
Well, the fact that she is the only one that you recognize from other stuff. Well, not not the only yeah, one. Yeah, it's like, I've, okay, I've you're a PTO. Um, one thing I will say again, going back to the uh, casting controversy, Maureen is five foot one. Uh, Rosamund Pike is five foot nine. There were literally people saying, can't watch this too tall. Like, it's like, oh, it's you just fine. Want to choke these people. Like, it doesn't matter that much to the plot that Moraine is short. Like, we can, we can handle it. It's not that important. The, I will say the one thing that I was moderately apprehensive about was that Rosamund Pike is, I believe, naturally a blonde and uh, brunette representation matters. So I would have been angry if they'd made her blonde. <laughs> um, uh, is my one absolutely hypocritical thing that I will have said is that I genuinely would have been annoyed if they'd made her a blonde. Um, but that uh, they did not. They had her dye her hair for the role. So that's fine. Or wear a wig. I don't know. But she is dark haired. I am going to guess that's a wig. Potentially. Could be a wig. I really have no idea. We also have Daniel Henney as Lan. Or as I like to call him, uh, Mr. Eye Candy. Um, he is a beautiful man. Like, we've, I've been on this podcast before, obviously, and uh, I'm an incredibly straight man. Just, just This is one of those things where dudes like, try to over-egg the pudding and like they sound like they're overcompensating something. But... Like genuinely, I like I'm painfully straight, and Tanya Lenny is still a sexual creature to me. Like, oh, yeah. what the hell? Like, God has blessed this man in so yeah. many ways. His voice is amazing. His yes. face is beautiful. He like, and the way he moves is very elegant too, which is yes. I think excellent for Leon. Like, you buy him as somebody who has an immense amount of like physical like military skills i again and when we talk about the casting controversy people comparing saying oh i always pictured somebody like dave batista or uh john cena as um as lan and i go on what books were you reading um describing somebody as hulking (laughs) yeah having been a large dude and having a stone face doesn't mean that you have to look like you're chiseled out of concrete like those guys do. Like those guys have too much muscle to play land. He's a swordsman. Mm-hmm. If 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 you were going to say to me, Oliver, who did you always picture as him? I will say straight out, I always pictured young Liam Neeson. Mm. But that's because I know explicitly what young Liam Neeson looks like. Right. Having watched him on a billion and one different related Irish TV stuff and, and movies and stuff. So I know... That's how Lan looks to me with the large nose and the, the mm-hmm. chiseled features. Nobody looks like that anymore. Like, you're not yeah. going around finding excellent actors who look like that. Even, like, I mean, if Liam Neeson was 25 years younger, go for it. But right. he's not. He's not playing yeah. Lan in in 2021. Um, yeah. The other one I see a lot is uh, if people compare him to um, The Last of Mohicans, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance, which again, also fantastic. Mm, and if he had sure, played Lan, that's old. amazing. Can, well, also too old, but, but can you imagine them convincing Daniel Day-Lewis to play? A can character? you imagine also, <laughs> yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis absolutely doing like going like going like fucking method for Wheel of Time? Yes, I can. I can totally. And he would, he would just like never like, and he would just like never like leave Moraine alone, and this poor actress would have to be like, oh my god, stop! And he's like, but I'm bonded to you. Uh, Rosamond, um, I've actually found somebody who can bond us in real life. Uh, <laughs> I live inside your head now. <laughs> Poor Rosamond Pike. 
We also have Zoe Robbins as Nynaeve. Uh, Once we get to the young people, I have not seen them in anything, but I think that most of them at least are excellent. Uh, I think, I think Zoe Robbins was a great choice. I think she is absolutely doing, uh, giving an excellent performance as Nynaeve. I I think after uh, Daniel Henney, I think she's the best uh, performance in the entirety of season one. Yeah. Same with uh, Madeline Madden who plays Zegwayan. I, have never seen her anything before. I think she's doing a great job. I just before she got cast, I so there's a, a set of teenage novels in Australia called Tomorrow When the War Began. And I remember watching the movie version of that and then it turned out there was a TV series made of it. And okay. she's in that TV series because she's an Australian actress. She's um okay. an an indigenous she's I don't want to say Aboriginal because I don't know if that's how I don't I, I don't want to be inaccurate, but I know mm-hmm. she comes from that background. Okay. So she's an indigenous Australian background and she was playing that okay. type of character in the show. Mm. And um she was fantastic on that show and she's fantastic as Egwene or Egwene. Um just also for people listening, I'm going to pronounce this the way I've always pronounced them in my head. I know it's not technically book accurate and it's definitely not show accurate, but uh Egwene will always be Egwene to me. I, I understand it's meant to be Egwene, and when we get to Tar Valon, it's meant to be pronounced like Tar Valon, but I will still say Tar Valon, just because that's how it is in my head. So if it's if it sounds slightly off than you, that's okay. I I don't mean it to be wrong. I'm not saying I'm correct. I'm just saying that I've been pronouncing that way in my head for thirty years. I I don't think I yeah. can change it now. So I don't know if this was always the case, like in the editions that you first read, but in the books, or at least the uh, the editions of the books that I read, which was a monstrosity of a single Kindle edition that included all 15 books. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, each book actually had a glossary at the end that included a yep. pronunciation guide. And, it did, from, from the yeah. very first uh, publication. And I had the second publication and from the very second publication i've ignored that <laughs> so i have attempted typically when i've tried to pronounce things is i've attempted to go by the back of the, the uh, glossary in the back of the book but because the glossary is at the end i will say that when i was reading the first book none of the pronunciations i came up with were anywhere near close like i think i was thinking like Aguana for yeah, whatever reason yeah. um, but it makes it makes perfect sense uh, Josh Stradowski as Rand, uh, he, so in general, I do think the, the women, I, th- I kind of like better than the men in terms of most of the younger actors. Josh Stradowski strikes me as a little bit wooden, but also Rand is kind of a little bit wooden. So I don't know, maybe it works. Yeah. He, um, he could really sell me on some Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh like, my god! Yes, <laughs> he just strikes me as that's what he looks like an Abercrombie and Fitch model, and uh, not no, not really that that's does. a bad thing. He's a he's a another beautiful human being. Um, I I teach secondary school in Ireland, so seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and uh, I was running through um something for some other time. I was it was during my lunchtime, and I was I think I might have even just been watching an episode, like catching up on an episode, and some of my students come in, and oh, the girls all loved him. Just, who's that? Mr. Brady, who's that on the screen? I'm not, it's just somebody called Josh Estrelasky. What show is that? We want to watch that show. And I go, okay, great. Yes, he's a very beautiful young man. Um, So, yeah, I, I, it's it's perfectly understandable why he's been cast in the role. I mm-hmm. think he does an adequate job. He's, he's fine. He's a tall, yeah. 
pale, red-haired guy. That sounds yep. like a rand to me. Yep, he is very much like, he is very much the character who like they clearly like took the book description of Rand and found somebody who very much fit the book description of Rand. Um, which I would and I would say to the extent that physical appearance matters to the plot at all, which again I think for the most part it really doesn't. Rand would be the character where I think he would most like make the case for it mattering because there's a lot made of the fact that like he looks a specific way, which is not what anybody else looks like in his in the village. village. So yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Marcus Rutherford as Perrin, he, and he, I don't know, I feel like he is also at points a little bit wooden. I don't think he's doing a bad job. I think he's fine. Um, I disagree with you. I do think he's doing a bad job. And I think a lot of this could stem from the fact that of the main characters, Perrin's my least favorite overall in mm. in terms of the books. And I like Perrin but, more than you do. Yeah, I know you do. Um, It's one of the few things I've said to myself a few times that, Sarah F. Decker is actually wrong. Um, but <laughs> you know I have a soft spot for anybody who bonds with dogs. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. But um, I just meant uh, that maybe it's because it's my inherent dislike of Perrin and what Perrin's character becomes later on. But Or it could just be that he's saddled with my least favorite trope in the history of all tropes um, in a series yeah. we'll, we'll get to. Yes, about. which we'll but, get to. But I think Marcus Rutherford, the actor, does a particularly poor job of making him seem like character and he always seems like he's either out of breath or trying to shout whisper across a study hall to another kid like every single sentence he makes he's like yes that's right and he's like I can't relax dude you're you're just sitting having a conversation at the minute like you're this is yeah. you're just sitting at the you're sitting at a bar stool talking to another person on the other side of the the table you don't have to do the whisper be on the edge of your seat thing so i think he kind of maybe missed it mm-hmm. a little bit but I, I mean me saying he's bad again i really dislike parents character so yeah. it could just be inherently my hatred for that yeah and then barney harris is matt who i actually liked but who has uh been recast so uh we will not be seeing any more of him been replaced with an Irish guy named Donald Finn. I think he's very good in the first five episodes. And then he... So nobody knows why he left the show. Right. The current guess is that he refused to get vaccinated. Oh, um, fuck so you, Barney Harris. There, well, I don't... See, that's the thing is, I don't necessarily want to say that because it could turn out that that's not true. Mm-hmm. So this is just people saying that. So he there was a break for COVID. And then when they came back the Amazon studios were requiring people to be vaccinated. And mm, the rumor, our current, he, current uh, rumor is interesting. that he refused to do that, which is causes a lot of issues with the last two episodes. Because Yeah, I was very confused about the absence of Matt. And then I heard about the recasting and I was like, okay, clearly this was an issue that happened like with the actor in terms of his absence um because yeah because those are some of the choices that i found very weird and and that i'll now give a pass for because it was clearly that that was clearly the situation i think but we also have kate fleetwood as leandrin uh and she was good she wasn't quite she was you know she wasn't quite how i pictured leandrin but i thought that she was awesome and she seems very badass and mean and you know i love mean women you do love mean women. Um, she does come across as badass and mean. Uh, she shouldn't be in 
season no. one. Um, but I get why she is. No, no, I, I totally get it. Um, I'm trying to think what the, the best way to describe it is. I understand why the changes were made, but uh, I was shocked to see her. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think she may have replaced another character. Um, right. And if she has replaced that other character, it will mean a lot of changes need to be made. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we can discuss that as we, we go along. Yeah. And the other person from the cast that I especially wanted to mention was Sophie Okonedo as Siwan Sancha, who I adore. I think she is absolutely, I think she's absolute perfection. Yeah, she's fantastic as Siwan. Um, and again, people were angry about the fact that she, I, I pictured Siwan as white. Who like, cares? yeah, go, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yeah. yourself. Um, there's two other people I want she to shout She is exceptional. And like, she is, and, she's yeah. fantastic. And she's I, in two yeah. two episodes, really one episode, but two episodes. She's a small part in... Um, in epi- is she in episode seven? No. So yeah, she's in one episode. Yeah. Um, episode six. And uh, she's, she's fantastic. She's a great scene. And there's another change we're going to talk to when we get to that point. But um, there's two change. other people I just wanted to destroy because you just don't have them on the list. So Logan, or Logan. Yes. Logan Abler, who is also not in book one, really. He's in it. Right. But you just he's see him in, in the it. distance. He's mentioned. Yeah. And he's played by Alvaro Morte, um, who is from he must be from money heist or something along those lines okay. um and he's brilliant he he re, like talk about just jumping off the screen yeah. in his one episode he's, he's very charismatic yeah and tom Marilyn, who yes is has been misplaced in the show or changed displaced i suppose to be better not misplaced because i think what they've done with him is good um, he's played by Alexander Will, uh, Willem, Wilhelm, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, it W-I-L-L-A-U-M-E, your better language is the Willem. name, sir. Willem. Um, but that's, again, so how Alexander Willem. personally and, and I think he's the best actor in season one. I think he's fantastic. I, I think, think he's he's really good, yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, again, trying to not give spoilers, but I will just say he's a character who will become increasingly important based on the books. Uh, so I look forward to hopefully seeing a lot more of him in season two. Fingers crossed. Even though technically it's a cliffhanger that he may have died in season one, but oh, for, that's in the books. Well, well, no, no, it's sorry. not really. It's in It's in the books as well. So yeah. that's the way they do it in the books. They just, as I said, displace where that that all happens. Right. Um. That's it. That's your principal cast for for thing. We usually we don't spend this amount of time talking about the cast. I think it's just mostly because there was such controversy about. Yeah, the that I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, and I they're all they all do a very good job, and I have started a reread because of the show um, and I just wanted to go back to them and I'm going nice and slowly I might even go one season per year so one yeah, book per year yeah that's kind of what I'm thinking about doing is I might just right now read like books like one through three and then hold off for a bit yeah and I'm starting to picture the TV show cast as the characters yeah and it feels it feels right it doesn't yeah. feel it doesn't feel forced it's not I mean it's not how I always pictured Matt because after book three I always pictured Matt as a short Irish guy, but <laughs> wearing glasses. I don't know why. <laughs> but it, I mean, clearly that's not how the book describes him. But my God, did I actually picture him as me? <laughs> that's it's just it's it's just it's a nice it's nice to be able to have that visual yeah. element now. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and as I said, I think that there's, that they're pretty much all excellent. So let's get into the plot of the show, which you, you have now seen twice because you did a rewatch. I have only kind of seen them as, uh, as they were coming out. So, uh, I have only seen each episode once. And, uh, and I will also just note, by the way, that, uh, shout out, I watched, uh, not all of the episodes, but a chunk of the episodes with my parents since the season coincided, uh, first actually with my, uh, seeing my parents while visiting over Thanksgiving and then while seeing my parents, uh, over Christmas. So, uh, and my parents have, my dad has read nothing. My mom has now read the first book. Oh. Yeah. And, but they, you know, don't know much in terms of what's going on and uh, they really really liked the series so if there's anybody listening who has not read any of the books you know I would recommend the books but even somebody who has no interest in reading any of the books they are the show is I would say still enjoyable for people who are not familiar with the books how what did Beth think of book one she's been liking it so far she uh she asked me my mom asked me a lot of questions that uh are basically her trying to get me to give her spoilers um (laughs) (laughs) which i sometimes agree to do and sometimes refuse to do but uh but yeah but she she enjoyed book one so and she's and she is continuing i think she actually has either just started or uh, is about to start book two oh excellent Uh, book two is so much better than book one and book one is good like yeah. it's it's a good book it's it's a fine addition to the series uh and book two is just so much better it's it's like uh, it's like he took his style of writing in book one and just said what would happen if i wrote it faster if i wrote the story elements faster let's see what it's yeah. like to write a faster book and it reads like a heroic faction fi- the heroic fantasy rather than explicitly high fantasy and yeah. um yeah it's great i love it it's one of my favorite books in the series. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm look, I'm looking forward, as I said, to uh, to doing doing a reread of at least those uh, those first few books. So, all right. So let's talk about the plot of the TV series. Oh, so, so would we call this section an enumeratio? We would call it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's never getting better. Um. So basically, we begin with, um, we have our village, the two rivers, and uh, we have Moraine, who is an Aes Sedai, and which is absolutely not how I thought it was pronounced when I was first reading the books. And nope. um, I still pronounce it in my head as Aes Sedai. Uh, I thought it was Aes Sedai. Aes And uh, she comes to this village because she thinks that this village is where the Dragon Reborn is. The Dragon Reborn being basically the reincarnation of a person named Luz Terran Telamon, who is uh, basically a long, long time ago was a big deal as uh, I'm like trying to figure out like how to like effectively describe the dragon, but other than like, he's a big deal. Um, But he's also the person who like basically fucked things up ultimately in the sense that he like, well, he imprisoned the dark one, which is good. But then because of that, the dark one put a, (laughs) I'm going to say taint now and then I'm going to stop saying taint. Um, What is in the books called a taint and in the show called a corruption because they didn't want to keep saying the word taint. Uh, But putting corruption on the 
male side of the one power. So now any man who uses the one power will go mad. Yeah. So the, the best way I, I could describe it as is if Odysseus had somehow chained Hades, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the level of famous historical figure we're talking about. And rather than, you know, just go off and, you know, have a big odyssey named after him, he literally went in and said, Hades, you're a bad guy. I'm going to chain you and, and you're now imprisoned. And that's effectively what Luz Tarantelemon did in this world. Because of this, Hades or the devil uh, causes any man who uses the magic the ability to use magic it's called one power in the series if you want to find out more about the metaphysics of the of the wheel of time you can find it in the episode we did on the wheel of time books yes um but basically the one power is their version of magic and now any man who touches it goes mad lose terran telemon himself in the books we don't know if we did it necessarily in the show because they haven't shown us flashbacks to that yet Mm, goes mad and kills his entire Everyone. family all his friends and all men are doomed to go mad and the show has a cold open of a guy who can channel who's got an imaginary friend and he gets caught by some of these ace die and he is gentled or we don't know he might have been killed off screen because they're quite it's nasty the, the person actually the, it's funny yes. that as you mentioned earlier the first feet person first character to speak in the books is, or sorry in the show is, is Leandrin. Leandrin, yeah who is not in book one at all and she's not Mm -hmm. in the prequel at all so it's just interesting that that's that's the route they went with but she Mm -hmm. kills this guy and she says uh men make the power dirty when they touch it and it's just laying out the groundwork that men can't touch the one power only women can because if men touch it while they can still use it to do magic stuff they're going to go crazy and this guy has an imaginary friend which might become super important later on Right, yes. And and of course, also, we already with seeing Landrin and then seeing Moraine, you at least get hints, at least. Uh, I think it was not necessarily entirely clear all of the details of this to those watching the show without reading the books. But you get at least a hint of the fact that within the Aes Sedai, there are different... Uh, kind of groups or orders called Ajas and that they have different characteristics associated with them. So uh, Leandrin and the group of people who gentle this man uh, are of the red Aja, which is the one that I described as the mean misandrist Aja when I was first reading the book, which I do sometimes mean as a compliment. It's perfectly it. If you were to select one of the Aes Sedai and say this is going to be a misandrist you would be more than likely to pick somebody in the Red Asha first like they, and the Red Asha also they typically don't have warders they don't have they have they have no use for men whatsoever right um as one shouldn't yeah which is true I I agree I we, we are literally useless um one thing I will say is this begins one of the first or the next problems that people have with the show. So that the way I'm going to do this is as we go through the episodes, and we'll try and keep it brief, um, because I mean I, I realize we're like forty minutes in and we're just talking <laughs> about episode, episode one, but but we'll so you know hopefully we'll make this less than an hour talking about each of the episodes, like le- less than forty minutes even, um, because they don't require that much talking really to get through it. But in uh in the the show. A person in the red Aja, which is like the groups within the female, they're called Ajas. The groups within the Aes Sedai, 
the red Aja wear red, the green Aja who are the battle Aja wear green, the yellow Aja who are the healers wear yellow, etc. Now, yeah. it's a visual clue because in a book form, they will say, in walked Marilyn of the yellow Aja. They can't say that on TV show. So right. they just so show they just the have them color coded. Yeah. And to color coded. Like, does it look a little bit tacky? Yes, the first time you see it. And as somebody who is oh, used to reading like the it. books, it's not a book. It has to have visual medium elements. Yeah. So it has to have this shorthand version because they literally can't write it down. And as somebody who is used to reading it where they talk about, oh, he, she was recognized as being into me because she had yellow embroidery on the corner of her gray dress. Right. They yeah. can't do that. We can't just suddenly have you a You can't be that subtle. Right. It's subtle this. Sometimes you have to go. It's the same with the rings. The rings are very gaudy in the show. Um, each of the, the Ace of Dai will have a ring that identifies them as an Ace of Dai. In the, the books, they're very ring. subtle. They're easily hidden. Oh my in... God, they're not subtle. They are gigantic. <laughs> yes, they are huge and they've got a giant stone in the front and the color of the stone also it's represents also the Aja. Aja. yeah. But again, it's there as a visual clue for those who, yeah. who, who maybe are jumping into episode two. They can sit... If you jump into episode three and you see two women in green and two women in red, you automatically know the two women in red are aligned mm-hmm. with each other and the two women in green are aligned with each other. So it right. makes sense why they've done it. It's not exactly what I would have done, but at the same time, I would have done a first season of the show that was 58 episodes long and cost $7 billion. So Yeah, and it's, it's a choice I will say that I actually really like the color coding. Since I mean, first of all, it does actually, there is actually at least like a tendency to wear something with the color of your Aja on it. So it's not, I think, totally out of nowhere in terms of the books. But I also do think that it is very effective in terms of highlighting those differences between the Aes Sedai, which I think is really important and something that I think is really hard to do effectively, especially because there are already, there are a lot of Aes Sedai. We see a number of Aes Sedai like whose names we don't even know, and that's going to become, I imagine, increasingly true moving forward. And so I think it's actually a really good You don't know, Sarah. I recognize every single one of them. Yeah, having only read the books once, like there's a couple here and there that I'm like, oh, I think that's who that is. But there are definitely a lot that like, I have no idea who this is. All right. Well, I was going to say, so after after the cold open, uh, we cut to um, Emmonsfield. Well, it's not called Emmonsfield. It's just called Two Rivers. Again, they're streamlining the story. So they didn't yeah. need to le- learn the village. They just named the region. And we have Egwene, who is one of our main girls. And she gets thrown into a river and she has to learn to uh, go with the flow of the river so that she doesn't die. Now, this is her right. you know, rise to womanhood or coming of age right in the village. Mm-hmm. It's not in the books, but it's a great visual metaphor yeah. for how women are described as using the one power, yes. which is they they basically go along with the flow and they let it flow through them. In the books, men are described as being different. They have to fight with it and, and grab hold mm-hmm. of it. But this is a great visual metaphor. And later on, Egwene uses this in one of the episodes to be able to yes. channel properly for the first time on her own. So it just That's makes cool. sense. It yeah. It's a cool scene. Does it make 100% sense in terms of why would people who are farmers have coming of age rights that can end with the children dying? No. <clears throat> but does it ruin the series? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Of course not. Uh, we then cut to the village where everybody's celebrating this and then in walks Moraine and Lan. Which is like high drama. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right, you can tell these people don't belong here. 
these are strangers in the town. Everyone's looking. And in the they town announce- like, they've like seen like four strangers in the last like 30 years, clearly. Like it's clearly that kind of town. Exactly. It's a little backwards village that the, the country that they're in don't even recognize them as part of the country anymore. Yeah. And Maureen is there. Lan is there. They announce themselves. Again, this is something that people in the books that are huge book fans. Again, I'm a huge book fan. This is the problems that other people have, not me, is that, oh, they would never do this in the book. You're like, yes, but again, the show doesn't have 780 pages. Right. So they can't do the very kind of gradual, oh, she's an Aes Sedai. They just have like, she pops in and she's got her giant fucking ring. And it's like, Maureen Sedai, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, And again, Lan is usually subtle and kind of shows up out of nowhere and he stomps in and this but he's trying to make an entrance yeah that's the point of this scene so she comes in there's a little bit of chat we meet the next day we meet um oh sorry in that scene we also meet the rest of her mains we meet rand who's a nice guy who's got a thing for egwene we had or egwene we meet perrin who's a big guy who's very quiet and also maybe has a thing for McGuane from the way Neneve talks to him. Neneve right, is he the kind of has a thing wisdom. for McGuane, but also has a wife. We'll talk about he the wife, wife more We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, so Neneve, like, basically tells him, listen, go back to your wife, dude, right? Uh, Matt is there. Who's a trickster? He wants to gamble. He wants to have a lot of fun. He also seems like he might have, you know, a, a bit of fun with the ladies from the way he's winking at a girl. He's like, oh, don't worry, I'll make that up later. Uh, we find out that his dad is a bit of a scumbag and his mom's a bit of an alcoholic. Again, changes from the book that yeah. aren't By there, a bit of a scumbag, which, we mean that his dad is, like, beating his mom. But just, like, to clarify this. like beating... Beating the mom while also then having affairs with a woman, yeah, no, Matt, he's a, or he's a, a girl Matt's age yeah. in the thing. He's a, he's a yeah. piece of shit. Um, so that's not the character in the books. The character in the book is no. Abel Cawthon is a perfectly nice man, a really nice guy who cares about his family. But again, I I get why they made wanted to make those changes because they wanted to speed up the the development. We'll talk about that later on when we, we talk about changes in Fabula Nostra, what they got yeah. right and what they got wrong. Um. In this, so Perrin goes back to his wife, Layla, who is a character in the books. She gets mentioned a sum total of once, and it's in a flashback much later on in the series. But And she's not his wife. No, she's not his wife. I'm saying she's just a, another person yeah. in the village. And it's in a conversation where somebody says to him, what would have happened? He goes, oh, well, you know, I'd probably be married to Layla now if I'd have stayed in the village. Right, yeah. So it's basically like that's where they got the name from. The name uh. from, right? Yeah. Uh, because they've aged up the characters. Um, Perrin, or sorry, Rand's dad is there, played by uh, Roose Bolton. From yeah, which uh, Don't like I will this. say he looks he looks different enough that like I got okay. He looks different enough that I actually forgot that that's who it was, and all of a sudden I was like, "That's who that is." But I do I do find it a weird choice just because like Roose Bolton is so like intensely unlikable and. Uh, um, and Rand's dad, uh, Tamal Thor, is supposed to be a lovely man. He's in, in, intensely likable. He's like literally one of the best secondary yeah, characters. Yeah, no, he's a lovely um, man. But Michael McElhinney uh, is playing him. He's just, he's a, he just gives he's vaguely sinister. scary vibes. Something about him. But also just when you say he looks different enough, they threw on what looks like pubic hair on his face. <laughs> um, it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible beard that he's got. Uh, but anyway, that's 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 not here to there. They go back up to their... Um, their own place to light just like a little lantern lighting um ceremony and then 
the village gets attacked by Trollocs. Now, Trollocs are the orcs. equivalent of orcs, orcs in this yeah. world. Yeah, they're bigger, stronger, and they're half meldings between humans and animals. And there's a thing called the Myrdral, which has no eyes, but can still see. They call it the Eyeless, and the look of the Eyeless is fear. Uh, basically, these are very, very evil monsters. Again, And to add in, the, uh, the term used in the show is they just actually use the term fade. In the book, those terms are used interchangeably. I think they just yeah. didn't want to do another like foreign-sounding word, essentially. Yeah, so they just that's, with that's literally it. So they say fade. It, 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 Myrdral is the official name, fade. Uh, half man, kind of all of these are, are yeah. names, right? So again, the the easiest way to just think of them is, um, because the, the first book is heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings. It's like, uh, just imagine yeah. Lord of the Rings if it was written slightly better. Um, <laughs> that's what the first book is. Uh, you know, you know my feelings on this. I've read Lord of the Rings, but I'm I will throw shade at, at Tolkien and his inherent racism. Um, but uh, Wheel of Time. That's not um, wrong. I love I love Tolkien and I love Lord of the Rings, but that's a valid critique. Uh. I, for a second, there, I thought you said I love Tolkien and I love his racism, but uh, so the I think Jordan the, is the better fade... on both that and on uh, having women who actually fucking battered at the plot. Um, yeah, well, that's true. Um, so the fade is, or the fade, or the half man, the, the Myrdal, is like a ring wraith in at, at yeah. this point in the series. Later on, it becomes almost trivial that's how powerful the characters right, get yeah. every single one of the main characters kills one at some stage um but so the mirror are, are these things and then the trolls are like orcs they attack loads of people get killed and moraine saves a lot of people and tells the the, the mains one of you is lose terran telemon reborn one of you has his soul inside you because in the wheel of time Time is a wheel and people get thrown out into the weaving yes. every couple of hundred years or every millennia. And right. that's where episode one finishes. Uh, Rand's dad well. is injured. Nineveh has been taken away mm-hmm. and the rest of them are going to go on a trip with Moraine and leave the village. And Perrin accidentally murders his wife. No. <sighs> This is during I the attack. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate in the this book, so fucking much. So, in the the books, right? And this is not a spoiler. This is this is what they're trying to do in an entire season of the show here. In the books, Perrin is conflicted about violence. He he is a man who is incredibly good at it because he's a massive hulking dude. He's, he's very powerful, large, and he's got a giant axe in his hand. So when he swings that, people are going to die. He spends a good chunk of the fifteen novel series making this mental choice between, as in in his mind, yeah. not a crazy choice. Like in his mind, he's making this choice between using an axe, which is only used to kill. Or using a hammer, which, yes, he can use the kill, but it's also, also used because he's a blacksmith. And it's it's a whole thing where that's his, his choice to book. So the showrunners, the writers said, we can't just have this all in his head. So what we'll do is we'll give this character who doesn't have a wife in the books a wife and have him kill her so that every time he feels bad about violence, we can do it's a flashback. It's because he killed his wife by accident. To kill his wife by accident. And it's completely unnecessary if they'd have left it the reason that he becomes conflicted in the books is because later on uh, in book one he starts to be able to communicate with wolves he meets somebody who tells him to communicate with wolves and he loses himself and becomes animalistic and kills a bunch of men right that scene still happens in the 
show. He gets attacked yeah. by those same men. He can you you don't have to kill a wife, right. a character yeah. that you explicitly created just to kill off. It's just which like is what such fridging an, is. Yes, it's literally the definition of fridging, and it's lazy and it's misogynistic. And the show is, I think, like better than that. Like it wasn't necessary, and it's awful. Awful. Yeah, I hate it. it. I it, hate it so much. It's completely, completely unnecessary. And the people who defend it say we needed or they needed something to speed up his character growth. They don't. And I it's would fine. say, as somebody who just watched the same series that you just did, this is indefensible because yeah. it does nothing to speed up his growth. As yes. for how you get to they... it basically at the same point, it doesn't matter. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it really adds almost nothing. And even if it did add something, it's still fridging and it still fucking sucks. But this the reason I'm saying it doesn't add anything is because people are saying, how do you demonstrate his internal struggle? And I would say is you could just have him at some stage do blacksmithing again, like the books do, and how much he enjoys the creation aspect mm-hmm. of it as opposed to killing. Or you can have in his head him having dreams of accidentally killing one of his friends with the axe, which again is how it's done in the books. What they do in the show at the minute is every time he's having a bit of a conflicted moment, they show his internal thoughts you and have to it's like him see his killing dead wife his wife. Yeah. So you're literally seeing his internal thoughts. So the justification of they had to fridge the wife because you can't show his internal thoughts you goes still out can. the window when you start showing his internal thoughts, which is just a flashback and, to his wife dying. And also I think his internal conflict is more interesting and more subtle when it's not just violence is bad because I did this obviously clearly bad thing with it. It's that violence, like even if I'm killing to save other people, I still feel conflicted about it. Like if I'm killing these other human people, then that's something that I still can feel conflicted about, even if it quote has to be done. And that I think is more interesting than a like violence is bad because like I fucked up and I murdered my wife. It, it it literally is the worst decision made in a TV show that has made a couple of bad decisions. But yeah. there's no reason to this. And the people who are defending it, and I know there'll be people listening to this who go, but this is why. I want you to, to understand that this is coming from somebody who loved the show. Like myself and yeah. Sarah have talked I about really this. I really like the show. And I'm repeatedly yeah. through season this. one about how happy I was with the show, about how I was enjoying everything with the show. We're going to get to episode eight later. But everything that was going on, I was like, this is brilliant. Uh, Texting Sarah, because I was staying up to watch it Mm -hmm. way into the small hours in Ireland time when it got released, uh, because I was that high on the show. So when I say I have an issue with this, it's not I hate the show and I want to Mm -hmm. find a problem with the show. Fridging a wife has no benefit to this story. And shouldn't be done in 2021. And it yeah. also coincides with a death fake out for Neneve. Right. Neneve gets dragged off by one of the Trollocs in this first opening episode. And Doesn't if you've read the in, books, in the show. right. And if you've read the books, you obviously know she's not going to die because she's too important. But if you haven't, then, you know. It, it's a death fake out. Whoa, one of the... Uh, Egwene's friend just got dragged off into, yeah. the, into the, the night. She's going to be killed. Now, as again, as a book reader, we know they're not killing off Neneve. But it's the fact that... That is a death fake out. Mm-hmm. And Rafe Judkins, we mentioned him earlier. And again, he's become this pariah with, with some fans. I don't want this to be an anti-Rafe thing. 
Um, because I'm not, I think he's he's done a, a pretty decent job. But he wrote episode one, which has a fridging mm-hmm. and a death fake out, and he wrote episode eight, which has four separate death fake yeah. outs. It's like so it's so they're oh, the no. only two he wrote. The other episodes, which I am incredibly high on, in particular episodes four and seven, which I, I mean I, almost brought me oh, to tears they were that good. I am obsessed so, with episode four. Yeah, so for those those are written by other people and you can tell it shows that the difference in writing quality between those people so yeah just even though it might sound like i'm going to come high and ref or come down and ref and there are some people who are going to be listening to this who are, are great fans of him and think he's done a great job this is not an anti-rafe rant mm-hmm. i just think that he is the weakest of the writers in season one because he's relying on tropes that we don't really need to have that yeah. the book never had. We don't need them. Like the book yeah. has one death fake out in the entire series. It's at the end of book seven and it doesn't get resolved till the start of book nine. And right. that was a goddamn terrible three years of my life. <laughs> and um, I will, yeah. And I'll also say like, so the book, uh, there have been people who criticized the books as misogynist. I... I would say disagree with most, although not quite all of those critiques. You know, there are certainly ways in which you could tell, like, the books are written by a dude. Um, But I disagree with a lot of the critiques. And, but it is some, but, like, they are critiques that exist. Like, there's not, like, an example of fridging like this in the books. Which, as I said, fridging is an explicitly misogynistic trope. Like, even if it added to the plot, it would still be misogynist. There's something else that people used to defend. It was like, oh, well, the books start with a fringing. Ileana is fridged. Ileana is never a character. character. That's that's not how. And it works. honestly, that's neither is Luz Terran, so it doesn't matter. I I'll, I'll tell you what fridging is. If you want to compare it to something that men love, uh, everything and Christopher Nolan's ever made. Everything Christopher Nolan's ever made. But but here's an even better one. A better example of fridging, and this is at, at the Perrin level of fridging, is the dog in John Wick. That is Layla level fridging, where the dog is brought in as a reason for this character to live and be happy and whatever, and then they kill the dog. So then he goes off and does his his violence thing. That's what the that's what Perrin is. He's going yeah. off to like he's having this growth because here's this character that was in, introduced for two scenes and is murdered. And yeah. now he has all of these reactions murdered. That's what fridging is. It's yeah. not there's a character who was dead at the series, and you know, we find out in book five that she was married to Luz Terran. That's not yeah, it's not the same thing. And don't know. use that to defend it. You don't have to defend it. You can like the show, which still, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And still admit that there's some issues. The other two things about episode one, and we'll just talk about this a little bit. I just is, want to note, by the way, that we were like, we're gonna move along quickly. We are now at one hour and Five minutes I, and are I on episode one. I think a lot of the, the other episodes will go faster than this. Yeah. Um, in in the first episode, Matt d- steals some stuff and is shown selling it. And as I said, he is shown to be like from a bad family and has a heart of gold because he's only yeah. doing this. Like he's doing the stealing just to keep his, his little sisters happy, right? And you're like, yes, right. Because the character of Matt for the first two books is rather unlikable but for most people yeah for most people he's their favorite character by the end of book three because of certain things that happen and it feels like the showrunners and the writers were like well what we need to do 
is show that he's always had this heart of gold. He's always been a good dude. Uh, just he's been doing it the wrong way. And we'll get that change. And I get the impetus for it. They wanted to move mm-hmm. quick. I just don't think it was necessary. The other thing is Nineveh. And Nineveh was dragged off by this Trolloc. We get then in <laughs> episode three, how badass she was to be right. able to survive on her own. And again, it's because Nineveh in the first book is not the most likable character in the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would hazard to describe her as kind of badly written. And if you are going to She's very misogyny, if you are going to label misogyny at Jordan, how prickly Nineveh yeah. is, is an example of what you could say. Was I don't yeah. think he meant it that way, but you can totally understand. He's like, this is a woman in authority and she's a bit of a bitch. Yeah. It's um, like, she's like bitchy. She's like, na- she like nags the men. It's like, yeah. Like I like Nynaeve, but I'm like, kind of like, I feel like I'm not supposed to like Nynaeve as much as I, I do. That's the thing is she, but she, later on, she, she's an amazing character. Yeah. Just a wonderful character as, as time goes on. But that's, the show seems to have wanted to jump to the wonderful, character Mm -hmm. by episode three and you don't need that like it's okay for characters to to have growth and i guarantee you if you were to ask the showrunner what's your favorite character out of the main five he will say nineveh what's your lead or who's your lead favorite character he will say matt like because Mm -hmm. that's the level of respect that he's given those two characters lowering matt's uh overall arc i believe in order to bolster Nineveh to action hero status, which is not again, I love and I will Nineveh. say, I'm, yeah, I love Nineveh. And honestly, like I actually liked the like badass, like her fucking up the Trolloc scene. Like that was fun. I, yeah. like I'm fine with that. Like no, I no, think that's I, actually a perfectly okay choice. It's an excellent scene. What I'm saying is, it's not necessary, but you can see why mm-hmm. they did it. I just don't think it required. Like they, yeah. they don't need to have Nineveh the badass. In the second and third episode of the show, because mm-hmm. Nineveh the badass is such a great moment as you realize right. how much of a badass she is as she goes through. It's also the same with we were talking a little bit about blocks later on or earlier on. They seem to have done away with that. Yeah. The um, block and removing her own block and fighting against her block against magic is such an important part of the series. Right. And that I actually really like as because her, I guess I'm just going to say what it is because they're, because I feel like they're not dealing with it. So essentially like her block is that she can only channel when she gets really, really angry. And they to some extent reflect that in the episode. I think it is in, uh, is it in episode four? Episode four, where she, yeah, it's in episode four where she does uh, get very, very angry and channels is essentially like very like intense, like healing burst. And so that's reflecting the fact that right in the book, she initially can only channel when she's angry and has to like work on this block. And, and that's the thing is that I'm fine. I'm fine with actually Nynaeve being really badass, but I feel like there's interesting ways in the book in which her being like, angry is a strength but also a limitation um uh, and i think that actually is character wise interesting and it would have been nice to have uh, that element i guess whereas it's just like no it's just like she's just great um whereas like i think i think she's an interesting character because i really like her but i think she's a flawed character and i think flawed characters in some ways are more interesting that's it's the same thing with matt matt is already flawed in the series Heron is flawed in the series. Egwene, like, they, they come across as, uh, when you read 
the books, and I, I would highly recommend the books to everybody. I, we already did an episode. I, I gave them like seven out of five stars, right? Um, it's such a well-written series. Every character has strengths and weknesses, and I don't just mean, oh, D&D style. This person is good with the sword, right, but like is bad with the diplomacy. Right, character strengths and weaknesses, As right. They have character strengths and weaknesses, which makes sense. And the, the show, in its effort to haste towards the later characterization of them is ignoring important parts of the earlier characterization of them. But that leads yeah. us to episode two, which is right. called Shadows Waiting, where yes. I think so, I think we can get through this one relatively quickly, Sarah, because yes. it's basically a chase scene for the first 25 minutes of them right. escaping and Trollocs chasing them and they sink a ferry and a guy ends up dying and it's the first time that the Emmons fielders, that's... Rand and Egwene and Perrin and Matt, they get to see, well, Moraine just let this guy die. That's how yeah. important the children are. The children, I said, they're in their 20s. Uh, that's how important the younger people are to her. She would let this random ferryman die rather yeah. than give the shadow an advantage. So it really gets across to them that this is for real. Like, mm-hmm. even though the villagers were attacked and killed last night, this woman here would just let a random guy die. And they were yeah. like, no, no, don't let him die. And she's like, literally it. just let him die. Yeah. That's just how it's going to go. Um, the other thing I was just going to say as well from episode one, uh, Rand and Egwene have sex. They do not have sex in the book. No, they don't. Uh, it's also cut away. This is, you know, it's not Game of Thrones. We're not, you're not seeing Dong, right? Um, but I am all for this because if you have two people as beautiful as Egwene and, uh, and um, Rand, they should be boning. I'll just say it like that. I'm yeah, I'm, okay I'm fine with them boning. I'm actually more fine with them boning than the ways in which I feel like they kind of play up aspects of like their the intensity of their romance. To be honest, um, I, like I'm I'm more okay with the physical elements of the way in which their romance is emphasized than I am with the like emotional uh, position that it is given in the show. But I don't want to say yeah. too much about that. Well, that, um, again, that's that's for the thing. Yeah, they also, I'd say, starting in this episode in particular, start to have a lot of the, like, and they do this for a a lot over in the next few episodes, a lot of kind of fake-outs in various ways that essentially are meant to imply that of these five kids, ultimately any of the five of them could be the Dragon Reborn. Uh, And this is also a really big change from the book, because in the book, like, the way it's structured you kind of figure out in two seconds that Rand is the dragon reborn. Like it's not, it's yeah. not a mystery. Um, I, I love it. It does. Uh, the amount of people who are like, I don't know why they need this mystery. When I was reading the book, I knew it was Rand from like yeah, chapter two. Like what was, sorry, you realized that the main character of the books was the main character. Well, yeah, done. yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm and, like, and so I like the mystery because I think it contributes to it being more of an ensemble cast and less like look at Rand. Yeah, there's 14 chapters from Rand's POV before mm-hmm. you get anyone else's POV. Right. And then the next POV you get is Perrin. So the, the idea that it and could be And it's when they're separated, right? It doesn't like, make sense. Now, yeah. the issue that I would have with this is that the show is going to imply for the first six episodes that it could be Egwene right. and it could be Nynaeve. Now... Um, well, actually, we won't get into details about why it's an issue. Now, we'll do it when we get to the Fabian and Osher, where we're going to talk about stuff that they're wrong. Yeah, I actually I, don't mind. I'm actually fine with it. We'll talk about it later. I, I will, well, I, I'll, I'll say very briefly why, and I think you might agree with me when I do this. 
there is no danger if a Gwyn or Neneve are the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, but I, and I actually There's wish they played danger. that. Yeah. I wish they played that up more. Actually, of the like, ooh, it would be really convenient if like one of the one of these two turned out to be the dragon board, we'd have like way fewer problems. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is if they had gone to the trouble of saying, like, so Moraine says the dragon will either heal the world or break it. If it's Nene yeah. or Egwene, there's no danger of them breaking it. Yeah, I feel like they're they not doomed to go mad. Yeah, I feel like they just should have emphasized that, right? Like, I feel like they should have emphasized the fact that, like, we're kind of keeping our fingers crossed over here that it's one of these two because, like, we feel pretty good about them not going insane. Um, whereas, like, the guys, it's like, ooh, we're not, we're not feeling great about that. Um, yeah, so I just wish that they, like, acknowledge that. I feel like, because that is a change. And as I said, I like it as a change. And I think it's interesting. But I think they actually could have done more with it. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, eventually, uh, Moraine is starting to get sick because she was injured in the first battle um, in, in the Two Rivers. And Lan makes the decision to take them into a city called Shadar Logoth, which yes. in the old tongue, which is the equivalent of Latin in this world, um, I'm assuming that's what he was going for, means shadow waiting. And we know there's something up because they have a thousand it's creepy trollocs. as fuck. Yeah, it's, it's creepy as fuck, but there's a thousand trollocs a hundred yards behind them and they enter into this city and the trollocs and the tro- stop. They're like, no! I'm not no. going in there. Not a hope am I going in there. Um, so they go into the city. Moraine is out for the count because she's collapsed. And Lan says to them, don't touch anything. Now, this is different from the books because Moraine is still awake in the books. Like It's, it's not a thing. Mm-hmm. And she she is aware of what's going on. And she reluctantly agrees to go in there, even though right. she knows it's bad. But she trusts Lan's judgment. In this one, it's kind of implied that Lan does it on its own. Not really sure right. why, why they went with that. Um, maybe just because they didn't want to have Moraine making a mistake at any stage, whatever it happens to be. But Lan is the one who brings him in there. And he says, don't touch anything. There is a character in the books here called Mordeth. Um, yes. Or 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 Deeth actually is called. He doesn't call himself Mordet until later on. But or Deeth, and he uh, convinces Matt to take a dagger. Yes. Um, and he is basically the manifestation of evil, but a different kind of evil to the dark one. The dark one is like the devil, and there are people who yeah. worship him. The, the the Trollocs and and other people called Dark Friends, and. Or the, the 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 city that they're in were so intent on fighting the Dark One that they actually became evil themselves in a different way. And they're like... So the way I would liken it is they're like acids and bases uh, where one of them is incredibly strong evilness and will hurt you. That's an acid. But an incredibly strong base, which is the exact opposite of an acid, will still hurt you, will still melt your yeah. skin, will still cause great pain. So even though they're the exact opposite of each other, incredibly strong versions of either one of them will cause extreme pain. Yeah, and, and it's that's kind of like the it's kind of like the white cloaks, which uh, we should say a bit about in a moment as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a scene with the white cloaks at the beginning of this where we find yeah, out that they are uh, they've been killing They've been killing Ace and Die. Yeah, that cold open is real disturbing. Um, good. Sarah, I which really uh, like it, which, but... which which group in history do you think they're based on? 
Oh, the White Cloaks are like a very like Inquisition heavy uh, depiction. Yeah, which I think I talked about in the episode. Did I talk about that in the episode? I feel like I might have weirdly forgotten to talk about that in the episode. Anyway, the White Cloaks are obviously the Inquisition. And you can very much tell in terms of like actually their like tactics and the way that they interrogate people like it's very inquisitorial um I yeah I actually think it's like an it's like a really good parallel in a lot of ways and really well done but yeah the white cloaks are but you know but they are also the representation right that as I've talked about a lot on this podcast the inquisition while awful uh is not quite as um there are exceptions there's obviously real shitty inquisitors but I would say as an institution I would say it is less like overtly sadistic per se that is often portrayed as being um and we are definitely getting the like sadistic side of things with uh Eamon Velda as we see him like he's like collecting the rings of the Aes Sedai that he's murdered yeah we meet we meet Jeffrey Bornhold who is a decent version of a white cloak he's a as good as a one relatively can be. Not, as good as they can be um but they are misguided in their hatred of all things magic and and Aes Sedai because they think that the Aes Sedai like Moraine is affiliated with the Dark One because if they can do magic, they must be affiliated with the Dark One. Um, and the questioners are out to get them. Now, I had a priest friend, um, God rest his soul, Andrew, and I gave him the wheel of time to read when when I first got to know him. And he described them, the White Cloaks, as a perfect matchup of the Jesuits and the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they would fight for what they believe to be the word of God Mm-hmm. And they were pushing for, you know, violence a lot of the times is the army version of the White Cloaks and then the Inquisition being the questioners who want to go and mm-hmm. torture people until they confess. So that's how he would describe them. So if, if you know what either of those two orders are like, that's effectively what we're talking right. about. And they to, like to, to battle, they actually, like to kill people. I'm going to correct yeah. you. The Inquisition is actually not an order. The Inquisition is an institution, but there is an order that is, I would say, not all Inquisitors belong to this order, but the uh, Inquisit, but within the Inquisition, the Dominican order is disproportionately, I would say, represented. And uh, the uh, Dominicans, um, so the they're called the Dominicans after St. Dominic, who is the founder of the order. But because of then how the Latin then shakes out, uh, they are then nicknamed uh, Dominicanes. Uh, so if you like add a space in the middle, which in Latin means dogs of the Lord. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so we meet them. They've killed. We, we get a cold open where they've killed an Ace die and he eats a bird whole. Um, Eamon Valde. Uh, Eamon Valde, who's played by a guy... Uh, have you ever you've seen Love Actually? Yeah, yeah. So you know um, Martin Freeman's scenes where he's like uh, a porn stand-in. Yeah, uh, yeah. D- that guy is the director in those scenes. Oh shit! So Aww. that's that's where I know him from. So he's he's like cup her breasts. That's all I can picture him and Valda saying. Um, so. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but he's that's, cre- so that's he's really creepy. Uh, he is creepy. He is giving he's, an he's, excellent he's, performance as the creepiest person you've ever fucking seen. I had forgot about him when we were doing the list. He he's he's genuinely excellent uh, in the role. Um, they're creepy. They, I mean, they, again, they don't really match up with what the books are. Like, we don't meet Valda until book four, book three, right. book four. No, I'm questioning myself. Book four. Um, and that's fine like it's it's grand that they've brought yeah. them in and introduced them earlier they they are they are in book one but they're just kind of like the butt of a joke that um right that, they're like mentioned happens. but you don't see a lot of them right yeah so you don't really get to get much of a sign them they, and then they 
they capture Perrin, which is something that's going to come up later on. But yes. they're in Shadow Logot. Uh, during the nighttime, we suddenly see this creeping black stuff, like corruption growing over all of the buildings. And the party gets separated because they mm-hmm. have to try and escape. Right. And Matt, Matt grabs a dagger and- because, of course, he does. Because he does, because that's the way they've established his character. And in the books, he's given it by Ordit in this one. Well, not given it. He's in a room with Ordit and he grabs it when Ordit tries to like get all scary at them. And yeah. Stuff like. um, and in this, he's just like, ooh, cool dagger. Ooh, cool dagger. I've got it. I'll take it with me. Um, I just gave also, somebody my... I just, he, like, it's just an, I can't remember who, but he like gives somebody else his dagger. And so now it's like, yeah. oh, I need a dagger. I, I gave away my dagger. It's another one of the parentings. He gives Perrin the dagger because he says Layla made it for him. And then Perrin, again, this is episode two, just, just yep. for the record, doesn't bother to tell him that he killed Layla because, you know, he's one of her main characters and he wants to keep the fact that he murdered his own wife. Uh, even if it was by accident, he t- he hasn't told anybody yet. So just keep the record. This is somehow fast forwarding his story because he's not telling anybody about it. Um, but anyway, yeah. uh, they escape and they get separated. Uh, Lan and Moraine are together. Uh, Egwene and Perrin are together and Matt and Rand are together and this is pretty much just like the book where yeah. they get separated after Shadow Logoth um, the boys go in one direction Moraine and Nineveh and this is what happens at the end of this episode mm-hmm. Nineveh comes up and she tries to uh, she tries to cut Lan's uh, neck from behind and that's the end of that episode and then we get into episode 3 which is called, and I've written it down here, A Place of Safety. Yes. So we've got, uh, so we end up with uh, Nynaeve basically uh, joins the party with Moraine and Lan. And uh, just in terms of like where they end up, basically they ultimately will end up uh, finding some an additional group of Aes Sedai, uh, which includes Leandrin, who has captured uh, Loghain Ablar. Meanwhile, we've got Matt and Rand are wandering around and they do at some point uh, meet Tom Marilyn. And they also have, this is the first time that we encounter a dark friend, that there is this uh, woman who initially just seems like a fun, cool lady at a bar. And uh, they're having a great time hanging out. And then it turns out that she's a dark friend. She knows that one of them is the Dragon Reborn or thinks that one of them is the Dragon Reborn. And uh, they just kind of manage to escape uh, eventually also with the help of Tom Marilyn. Yeah. So in this episode, uh, basically we get uh, Perrin and Egwene running, but there's wolves following them. And uh, Egwene... Yeah. (laughs) Egwene feels like she's, they have to run from the wolves. Perrin really doesn't seem to think that they're going to cause much difference. It's like, just an episode. Yeah, it's an episode where those two get to talk to each other. Now, I mean, again, this is now episode three. Does Perrin tell her during any of these long conversations they have about how he murdered? Oh, no, he doesn't. And does he take the opportunity to completely ignore it? When he has a distinct and blatant Mm -hmm. opportunity to do it? You're right, he does. Um, He totally ignores that. Um, We get... Uh, Nineveh and Lan talking to each other and discussing stuff with each other and uh, they seem to be forming a, a quite the bond. Lan is impressed that she was able to track him mm-hmm. um, which we're, it's going to come back in episode 8 and one yes. of the stupidest things that was ever written for a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're talking to each other and they seem to be, you know, hitting it off. He asked her to use herbs to help stimmy the wound 
and then he eventually goes out on the lookout and finds, as you said, Leandron's right. Leandron's group. Uh, Matt and uh, Rand are in this mining town. They walk in and they see a Nail in a cage at the beginning who right. is dead. Um, they go and uh, meet this girl who's running, I think Dana, she's running the bar. Um, they get robbed. They meet Tom Marilyn, who's singing in the bar. He's got a very good voice. He sings a very sad song about Luz yeah. Tarantelamon, um, which does. Rand gets goosebumps when it's happening. Uh, and then because they were robbed and they don't have much coin, they are talking to Dana and they say they can work. So she goes out and asks them to chop wood. Um, this is also when to- Matt starts being yeah. like a real dick. Like at some point, like Rand, like Rand's like chopping wood and Matt's just like, ah, fuck you. And just like goes off. And it's like one of these things where... Uh, so, and I watched, so as I said, I watched it. This is one of the episodes that I watched with my parents. So my mom watching this is basically just like, why is he such a fucking asshole? And I'm sitting there and like, it's because of his knife madness. Uh, because at this point he has the dagger, which is uh, making him basically be a jerk. Because um, while, you know, I love Robert Jordan, but uh, there are certainly things that are inspired by Lord of the Rings. The dagger is just basically, in that sense, the one ring in that it's a magical artifact that makes you into an asshole. But just for people who are reading this, that it it's the one ring, but it's not. It's not like the no. MacGuffin that the entire book. It's, no, it's literally, like it, yeah, it's, it's only in that sense. Like yeah. it doesn't. It's yeah, a it's not subplot that important. for the first two books. Matt's not an important, really an important character for the first two books, and he's the one who's corrupted by it, and right. he's just in the background. It would be like if Mary had the One Ring the entire time yeah. while they were doing something else, right? It's kind but, of um, like yeah, a mix so, of like the One Ring and the Palantir. Yeah, perfectly. From that perspective, that's exactly what actually. it is. And and it's just it's just there in the background. It's not it's not a huge issue. But he's been a bit of a dick. But there is the funniest line from season one in this where uh, <laughs> they're out chopping the wood, and Matt says that Dana was quite pretty, and Ran says, "Listen, you don't need to be thinking about this. You know, uh, we can just take turns." And he's mean and chopping the woods. Right. And then Matt responds with, "You think she'd be up for that?" <laughs> and it's refreshing that like <laughs> like it, it's fairness. It's a good joke. I mean, some people would say it's misogynistic. It's not in the in the books, but I I mean, it got a chuckle out of me. Like that's a that's a Matt line. Like, I, I can picture him saying that. It's kind of misogynistic. It's kind of misogynistic, but it's misogynistic. No, it is. It and, definitely like, is. Yeah. The way that like you can buy that that specific character is misogynistic, and that is, I will say, one of the things in the book is that you often get in the books like, well, this is misogynist. But, like there's a lot of things in the books that I don't actually think are misogyny on the part of the author. I think it's that he's portraying these like dumb 17 year olds from a small village as being kind of misogynist. Yes. Um, and that's, and that's what I'm saying. Is, things. I, I think it, it, the character would say that because he's an yeah. idiot. Yeah. And then Rand's like, no, but he, Matt uh, goes off to, uh, to try and rob the uh, dead Aiel. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, that's that's apparently his character now. Um, and then Tom goes and meets him. And Tom becomes like a father figure to him I- I- instantly. Just like, listen, boy, um, you don't have to do this. Uh, what would you like to do? We can bury him. And the two of them mm-hmm. bury Dail and they have a bonding moment. Uh, Tom also is aware that Matt is poor and allows him to take the stuff that the Aiel mm-hmm. man had. The logic being, especially he's poor he because Tom robbed from him. 
well, Tom had robbed from him, but Tom had stopped somebody else from robbing from him. Yes. So that's how it's going. It's, it's a bit of a lesson. And then Tom just kind of disappears. We think that's the end of it. It turns out that the uh, the lady who ran the bar is a dark friend. Dark friends follow the dark one. Um, and she is trying to kill Rand. She locks him in a room and she's got a sword, Rand's sword. And he knocks over the door that she tells him would be the strong really, enough. The really, really heavy door. And he manages to knock it over on his own. She's impressed by this, but also shocked. And then they run through the town. This is how the episode ends. She's got them at sword point. She tells them that the mirror or the fade is coming. And then a knife just suddenly appears in the back of her neck. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Tom has thrown it. Yes. Because Tom is not a simple gleeman. We will learn that later on in the series. But he obviously controls swords or knives really, really well. Yes. Um, and that's the end of the episode. So we still have... Uh, now Moraine, Lan and Neneve are meeting up with the other Ace Sedai mm-hmm. uh, Perrin and Egwene have met up with the Tinkers yes the, uh, uh, the, the Kuatan who follow the way of the leaf so they do not believe in any form of violence they don't believe in any sort of violence and they're all vegetarians and Perrin is intrigued with this, Egwene loves it because suddenly it's a chance to be happy for the first time since uh, Beltane since the attack in right. home um, but that's more in the next episode. They'll just meet them up at the end. Just, I was tickled pink that all of the Tuathan, um, the traveling people who I always pictured as Irish travelers, have Irish accents and most yeah. of them have Dublin accents. Mm. So it's fantastic that for some reason they've got north side of Dublin accents and they're played by north side of Dublin actors and actresses. Um, so yeah, Maria Doyle Kennedy is the lead one. And, AKA uh, she's, she's Catherine Van Agon on the Tudors. <laughs> Uh, Captain of Oregon, the Tudors, the Irish woman playing a Spanish lady. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's, as I said, that's the end of the episode. And that leads into what might be the best episode the of Dragon season one. Reborn. Some people would say it's called The Dragon Reborn, which starts with a cold open of Logan, a guy who can use the one power, uh, sieging a city on his own, um, Gildan or Gialdan. Um, and the king is on the run, being protected by his... Uh, I was gonna what's the bodyguard, um, and basically Logan is just completely unstoppable. He just basically yeah. kicks down the the entire fortress on his own, and then he has a confrontation with the king, and it turns out that he's got two shadowy figures. Yep, Logan's from also the got some power. imaginary friends. He's got some imaginary friends that are talking to him in his ear, and it's like you would think it's there's one in his left ear, one in his right ear. You'd think it'd be like good and bad. They're both telling him to do bad things. Right? Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're both bad. Don't worry. Uh, none of your imaginary friends are nice. Uh, I also will add that I really like the depiction of the one power. So. Okay, so obviously in, so it's clear, I would say in the books that if you're just a regular person and you are not able to channel, you don't see it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And also if you are a woman, you cannot see a man wielding the one power and vice versa. In the show, they obviously have to do something to show it to the audience because otherwise it would be very annoying. Um, So it's essentially kind of represented as like white swirls. But when men use the one power to represent the corruption, it's often mixed in with these black swirls as well. Yeah. And when women use it, it's just pure white. In the books, it's never explicitly said that they have different colors. 
but it's kind of implied that each of the different yeah. types of the one power would have a slightly different color, but it's not necessary. But it, so does fire, does air, like I mean, basically right. from Captain and, Planet. And that, yeah, and that you don't really see in this. Like it's always don't really basically white, as, as I said, except with like the black that's kind of representing the uh, but the, the taint. I I would hope that as we move into season two, when mm-hmm. Egwene is going to be learning more about this yeah. in the tower, that perhaps, and also if that the budget increases a little bit for this, if they, if her ability to see what's going on with the power changes mm-hmm. and yeah. we then see much, so we as an audience can learn more. But, but again, that's, that's just hopes I have. Mm-hmm. But so we start with them in, so he is then captured. We don't know how he gets captured at the end of this. We just know that he's in a cage and he's shielded. And to be right. shielded, that means that somebody else with the power is basically putting, um, I was going to say a paralysis net, but that's something else in the Wheel of Time, but has put like a, a, a net of the power around you that stops you from being able to access the power. Yeah, and, and you basically need, yeah, like three people to do this because he is so, like there are like three people at any time who are like working together to uh, kind yes. of keep this functional. Because he is so strong that they require these two or three people at all times mm-hmm. to do it. And Moraine is now there, so she's going to be able to help out. Um, we get a lot of uh, politics effectively talk amongst the ACDI, which for people who are fans of the books know that's basically what the ACDI do. Yeah. There's tons of backstabbing and and talking behind whispering in corridors and stuff like this here. It's, it's what game of thrones was basically based uh-huh. on the game of houses and the way the ace that i interact with each other uh leandrin approaches nanive and tries to do what leandrin does which is convince nanive to uh come join her rather than hang out with moraine we also get a really touching moment where lan and nanive get to hang out and she sees him doing a blessing and then he helps to translate something that her parents had said to her when they died yeah and it's nice, nice. and it, it's it's a it's a quick I was gonna say it's a quick but it, it's showing scenes that probably happened off mm-hmm. screen in the books because reality is We see very little in, of how that relationship progresses. Yeah. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Parent or Rand in the uh in the blight in the book is awake some night and he hears them having a conversation. Right. And that conversation yeah. is about how they, they're basically in love. Uh, or how they like each other, or how they're interested in each other, and it to me as a reader, every single time it goes, that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, there's there's maybe a couple of things mentioned of things, but Lan is effectively background noise yeah. in the the first book, um, and yet people are saying, oh, it's moving too fast in the show. No, it's not. They're just yeah. showing you the stuff that wasn't in the book. Right. Um, the Perrin other and oh, wait, are with oh, before the two we Ahim. before we oh, go yeah. on to them uh the other thing that i really like in terms of uh at the camp of the Aes Sedai that we see that's also not in the book but that completely makes sense that it's the kind of thing that was happening is we see a lot more of how the warders interact with one another and uh, a lot of the kind of connections and uh, uh emotional intimacy of those relationships uh also fun fact we get the uh kind of i would say pretty clear indication that one of the uh Aes Sedai alana uh, she has two male warders, and they clearly also have a relationship, a romantic sexual relationship, not only with Alana, but also with one another. And that's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, but, and so, it's just thrown out yeah. there. Yeah, as and it's just like very casual. Yeah. But the, yeah. I was, but the, but the reason I was bringing it up also is because I, I really, really like that 
it completely makes sense that the warders have this kind of, like even like people who are warders like of different Aes Sedai, right? It completely makes sense that they have a relationship and a like, a, you know, not the friendship. bond, obviously, but like a friendship. Yeah. And they have like things that kind of tie them together emotionally, effectively, um, and that we get to see some of that at the camp. And I really like that. Yeah, they're hanging out. And this is another thing where people are like, oh, Lan would never be hanging around with these people. There are several scenes throughout the series where Lan disappears and Moraine has explicitly sent him to go and talk to wagoneers and talk to servants and hang out with people to get information because he's a likable dude. Just because we don't have POVs from him and other people see him as Moraine's big, tall, strong handsome sexy bodyguard i love that um sexy bodyguard doesn't mean that he is a cold and unfriendly person so right showing this scene of him hanging out with the other warders and being friends with the other warders and there's a character named Stepan who is dead in the books anyway but yeah. um he he is there and we're gonna find out what happens to him in the next uh episode but he is sorry my phone is just giving me an alarm there um but he, Lan and Stepan seem to have like an almost brotherly relationship, which would yeah. make sense because they've been doing the same job and training together and right. working together for 20 plus years. Yeah. So they are going to be friends. Um, a lot of people, uh, and when I say people, I mean assholes, had problems with the explicitness of how they were clearly too bisexual warders who were sleeping it's with It's like that uh, totally well. makes sense to me. It's not anything that's ever yeah. said as a thing that happens in the book, but it is certainly indicated, right, that like the greens the green in particular Aja. often have uh, uh, romantic sexual relationships with their warders. Totally makes sense to me that these are just like poly triads or whatever. Yeah, of course. It makes absolute sense because they're connected to each other. And in the books, the only multi-bonding that we know much about or quite a lot about is you between can't say Rand what is. and Yeah. It's between Rand and some people. And uh each of them is described as knowing what the other group is yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so like it totally made like it honestly it makes more sense that they are essentially all in a relationship with one another than that it's like no, it must be one heterosexual relationship here and then a different hetero like relationship here and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, exactly. Um but while this is happening um ra- sorry, then we we we'll just cut to the other one. Uh Perrin and Egwene are just living it up with the two Athuin and being friends with each other and getting to know each other and, you know, basically just hanging out with them. That's fine. That's not a big problem. Uh, there's not really much happens there just beyond no. talking about stuff, right? It, it, that's, and that's the way it is in the books as well. Yeah. Um, uh, so we then cut to uh, Rand and Matt and Tom and they're sneaking around outside the farm in... In they they basically meet the farmer. The farmer's about to fire arrows at them. Rand talks them down because you know he's a he's a charismatic dude. Um, Matt wanted to kill them in his head, and they're in uh, the barn for the night sleeping, and then a fade attacks. And right, and there's also a really creepy bit where so the fade attacks and like this child was murdered in this family, and they kind of make it look for a second like Matt killed the kid. Um, yes. And but they've we already had didn't. this. Yeah. 
And because they've already yeah. had this implication like, oh, he's acting weird. Maybe it's because he's using the one power and he's going crazy. But then we get exactly. the fade. And so we... we because Tom in the show, just like in, in the books, mm-hmm. had a nephew who had started the channel and went mad and was eventually gentled. And he ended up killing himself after being gentled by the Red Aja. And in this book or in the, in the show, uh, it's implied that Matt is doing this because Matt also throws up some black stuff, which we're led to believe could be the same as the black stuff, which is covering the corruption, which is covering thing. Now, we know that it's not that, mm-hmm. but that's what they're implying. Yeah. Uh, and during the night, they wake up, they come across dead farmer and then dead children in the um in the yard. Uh, they go into the house and Matt is there and it looks like Matt has killed them but Matt is looking into the dark he says I see you the fade jumps out genuinely scary moment oh yeah um, this is a fantastic episode literally everything in this episode couldn't really have been much better and mm-hmm. um, jumps out and attacks them uh, and Tom just like he does in the books jumps between the fade and the boys tells the boys to get out and escape and they run and then Tom takes it on and we're left to believe that Tom probably died and maybe he did but don't want to spoil it for things maybe maybe maybe, maybe he dies, he's you know um but he escapes uh just one thing uh that is a nice little nod uh the little girl has a doll named brigitte oh yes um which which will come back later on and hopefully comes back later on and brigitte guards her dreams which makes a lot of sense when you yes, think of does. the character that comes later on uh the other thing is that that little girl as far as i can tell from the ending is elsie grinwell who is a character in the hmm. books who has a slightly different story mm-hmm. and is slightly older. But um, they obviously changed it to be more yeah. in line with Matt wanting to help her as opposed to in the books, which is Elsie Greenwald wanting to jump up on top of Rand. Right. Which is effectively, I got a thing for Rand. Um, like all the girls in the books, basically, oh, yeah. for the first two episodes. Yeah. Well. Um, but then we get back to what's happening with the, the camp. Yes, and uh, Logan's uh, followers arrive, and meanwhile, Logan lashes out with the one power, and he manages to kind of at least temporarily escape. Uh, One of the Aes Sedai, Karini, is uh, killed in this process, um, and Lan gets his throat slit, at which point, Nynaeve in this, like, goes into this, like, burst of fucking fury, and, like, one power, like, heals fucking everyone, and it is very satisfying. It's not in the books. Yeah. I don't care. I love it. Yeah, so, basically, Logan breaks out, uh, Moraine stops him and stalls him, uh, by having a talk with him, um, and then when... Logan is fighting the three Ace to die. He accidentally, or not accidentally, he tries to kill them, but he ends up killing Karini, yeah. um, or Kareen, as I would pronounce it, but Karini, and uh, she dies, uh, which causes step in her water, which yes. will come into later on. But um, effectively, that leads to that happening. It's it's dramatic scene, mm-hmm. uh, and then Logan fires off basically a gigantic power. Uh, move which kills everyone in the room or everyone in the room is about to die and then Neneve who is starting to have feelings for Lan basically does this heal bomb and it is shows something um, which Moraine had said 
to Logan earlier, which is you are powerful, but I don't know if you're Dragon Reborn. The Dragon Reborn would be like be a thousand like his, shining suns. Yeah, and then Logan sees Nynaeve and is and like, then Logan sees Nynaeve. Yep, like a thousand shining suns. Like a thousand shining suns, which is what he sees. And then he gets captured by the three women and stilled on the spot, which means they cut him off from the source forever. Or yes. Does it mean forever? But. Mm. Um, and I will also say at this point, uh, my parents, the or my dad at least, the has read zero of the book. My dad 100% thought Nynaeve was the Dragon Reborn. Because that's what they want you to believe. Yeah, so now, it, the big it issue, works on non-book readers. The big issue My is Logan should not have seen the effects of Well, he saw the Nini's results. Power. Well, well he, he saw yeah. the big shining thousand shiny suns. Is yeah, and yeah. we're looking at it from his point of view. But again, we'll get to that in the Fabio Nostra section. And, and that is actually inconsistent because in the same episode, like they actually explicitly make a comment about the fact Maureen that, like, says, one of the yeah, Moraine says, yeah. yeah, it's so weird that I know he's channeling and I can't see it. Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway. Okay, so we move along. Blood calls blood, episode five. And uh, the Aes Sedai, um, you know, Barry, Karini, you can tell already that Stepan is not doing very well. Um, and uh, meanwhile, the remainder of this group travels to Tarvalon. Um, and at this point, there is uh, increasingly among the Aes Sedai, including uh, Leandrin, a lot of interest now in Nynaeve. And uh, basically, we're trying to kind of like recruit her to an, uh, to an Aja already since yeah uh, so they basically get to tarvalon and in tarvalon they are hanging out and people are trying to convince them to do one of two things they want Nineveh to become a part of the basically to learn there and pick an Aja, you know so mm-hmm. there's, there's a point where she's seen talking to some yellows there's a point where the reds are trying to convince her and um, she sneaks off um rand and matt get there at the same time and they are uh they meet loyal who is i know probably your favorite character in the book i like loyal uh, or in the books um he is an ogier so not an ogre which is an intelligent race who really like reading and they're much bigger than humans and they're much longer lived and, and they're very just, charming you know, and they're, they're very also charming, very, very nice. like they're very not hasty they're they're sort of endish in some ways like they, yeah, they, they they like trees and they're very slow. Yeah, that's that's basically what they are. But they're not the like gigantic the same. No, as no. They're, I mean the appearance like, is very different. Yeah, uh, and I think they, they actually mention in the books right that if you weren't really paying attention, you might even mistake an ogre for a trollic, except for the fact that like if the trollic would have tried to kill you already. Yeah. No, I, the makeup is not perfect on this guy, right? But I will say. I think his performance is fantastic, so he does a great job. Yeah, and my his understanding voice is really good. And I did actually think that it was okay. Like, I think they could do better with the makeup, but I will say I liked that. I actually read something saying basically like we decided we really wanted to like focus on doing like makeup practical effects as opposed to just like CGI the fuck out of the situation because like we want actually to have like this person is embodying this character. And uh, I like that choice. And I hope that especially because I think they're getting a budget upgrade for season two. I think they could improve that makeup just a little bit. Yeah, I think they will. um, Hopefully. So they're, they're there in Tarvalon or Tarvalon uh, and 
this is an episode that I think is good and I think is really well done. I, a lot of book fans um, or book purists or book cloaks or whatever they want to call themselves hate because the vast majority of this episode, the whole step and arc is completely added. Oh, but and I love it. I No, this is what I'm saying. I think it's really good. But I also understand what they're saying because the showrunner and the writers have said we only had eight episodes that's why we had to cut so much of the original story right, out. Right, but then they're also but obviously if, adding stuff yeah. that's not in the books. But I think it's worth if adding. No, no, I think it's worth adding as well. And I think it's a very beautiful setup and the way it's done is very, very, very well done. But that's why people, there are, I like, so I'm sympathetic to that mm-hmm. particular argument, which is don't complain that you don't have enough time yeah. while also taking an entire episode to mm-hmm. make something up. And yeah, and I get it. I, but again, I think it's a really well done. Stepan is dealing with the fallout because when uh, a warder's um, Ace Sedai dies, they're in the books, they go into a bloodlust to a rage lust, but he got knocked out and couldn't really go into a rage yeah. lust because he, he just got there in time for it to be dead. Um, but he's trying to deal with it. He's very, very clearly depressed. And it's an episode showing the depth of relationship between himself and Lan. Yeah. And then he takes his own life at the end of it. So and we it's also just showing Lan the importance of the order Yeah. And seeing like Lan at the funeral. And this is, I think, another thing that the people who are like, why does Lan have emotions have bitched about. I think it's, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I think it is absolutely in character for Lan that like, it, he's allowed to have friends and he's allowed to like have feelings when his friends die. So this is my reading on it, right? Is that uh, Lan in the books is never shown to do something like that however in this scene in the show he has been assigned as designated mourner Mm -hmm. so the guy literally says lan show our grief so he's not representing just lan in that moment Mm -hmm. he's representing the assembly enacting a ritual right yes and everyone else is being stoic and he is passing out the emotion for every single one of them. So for Lan to get down on his knees and scream like he does makes 100% sense to me because that's what Lan would do. Anything else would be an insult to the memory of his friend. So yes, that is keeping within Lan's character. Is it keeping within something that happened in the book? No, of course not. That doesn't happen in the book. Is it something that Lan book has done? No, because again, the scene doesn't happen in the book. But is Lan going beyond the beyonds to do his duty? Something that Lan would do? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. In fact, you might even say it's an entire motif of Lan that Mm -hmm. duty is heavier than a mountain and death is lighter than a feather. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I I think it's beautiful. I think the performance from Daniel Henney is unbelievable. So, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, it's great. I get why people don't like it being a, an addition, especially in when people are complaining that they didn't have enough time. But as an episode itself, episode five is fantastic. I also really, really thought it was interesting seeing this scene because actually uh, I can I can make a historical connection because I think that like really... I'm going to say performative grief, and I don't mean that in the sense that the grief isn't real, but in that like it's like... There's, like, um, ways that you, like, perform it and make it visible. And those ways are partly, I would say, 
uh, kind of standardized in some ways, um, that that yeah. is very much an aspect of like medieval mourning culture, uh, that you have that kind of really like visual representation of grief by at least some people who actually in some cases were even like hired mourners in funeral contexts. Um, so yeah. anyway, so yes, I think that's interesting. Just uh, if you want to, and I'm going to leave this in for the listeners, uh, I think my computer is trying to give us a little bit of a, a heads up there because it just popped up on my screen for no reason. Disk space remaining for recording 33 hours. So I think it's trying to tell us that we're talking to Don't much. say it. You can't, so you can't talk for this another 36 hours. You, you've yeah, only got like 33 are, hours left. Yeah, because we have done uh, like just over half, like basically half at this point, And we are two hours in. Um, right. Uh, so basically Rand and Matt get to Tarvalon uh, and at the same time uh, Perrin because uh, they're just there at the end of this episode they're not actually in Tarvalon yet and at the same time um, Egwene and Perrin get captured by the White Cloaks which is leading yes. into the next episode 6 The Flame of Tarvalon no the uh, the wolf stuff happens in episode 5 doesn't it? oh episode 5 oh sorry yes so yes. they get captured in episode 5 and the uh, they get captured by uh, the White Cloaks, and they're uh, they're being tortured by Eamon Valda, who is trying to... He's creepy as fuck. Yeah, he's creepy as fuck, and he's trying to prove that Egwene is uh, an Aes Sedai, even though she's very young-looking. So mm-hmm. he's cutting into uh, Perrin's back and, you know, basically torturing him. And then it turns out that Egwene is. So she uh, uses her powers to free Perrin, who goes wolf boy on it a yes. little bit, like almost semi-werewolf, which scares Valda for some reason, and then Valda <laughs> gets reason. stabbed in the back. Yeah, it's, it's, it is it's a weird thing for Valda to be like, oh my god, what are you? Um, I mean, like, it's, like his eyes go yellow and he kind of goes nuts. Like, I, you know. Yeah, I don't know if Valda would react that way. He's been capturing Fine. witches All and right. cutting her hands up and stuff. But then Egwene stabs him in the back, which is good. Yes. Um, I'm assuming he will be back for later seasons. And uh, they escape, and it turns out that while they were uh, doing all this stuff, the wolves had come into yes! and were busy killing white cloaks. So go yes! wolves! So my whole like during this whole bit, like you start to hear the wolves howling, and this is at least it connects to things that happen in the books. So I am just sitting there, and it's a good thing that this is when I was not wa- watching with my parents because, like, relatively early in the scene, I like figure I was like, oh, this is where it was going, and it was just sitting on the couch, like uh, you know, talking to my dog alone in my house, being like, wolf friends, wolf <laughs> friends, wolf friends, uh, because there's nothing that I love more than some uh, some cute dogs killing inquisitors yeah and then we get to the next episode which is called The Flame of Tarvalon which involves Siwan Sanchez yes! so yeah, I, Sarah, you since she was your favorite character in season one, you you can you can explain what happens in episode six. Yeah, so first we get a cold open with the young Siwan, and uh, we so we see her childhood. She is in uh, Tear Tear. I call it tear, but other people pronounce it tear, but it's tear. Yeah. Anyway, so let's say tear. And uh, she lives with her father. Uh, They are going out fishing. They're going out making nets. And she is doing part of the work of, I think it's untangling the nets, using the one power. And her father knows that she's doing this, but keeps cautioning her that she shouldn't be because somebody might see, because people are not super into the use of magic in Tyr. 
but it turns out that they had in fact seen and because of that uh, because these people fucking suck they burned down her family's house that's nice yep and uh she then has to leave um and goes of course ultimately to the white tower where she will become an Aes Sedai and where as we will learn she will become the Amarlin seat and she is so cool and I love her um so she uh is as in her capacity as the Amarlin seat she is questioning the Aes Sedai that arrived because they were not supposed to gentle Loghain without a trot without a trial Uh, She also questions Moraine on what it is that you've been doing wandering around away from the tower for the past 20 years. And uh, so, uh, and it's like a very... And Moraine refuses to answer in public. Yes, Moraine refuses to answer. It's like a very dramatic and tense scene. Uh, And it is also very much a scene where, while you know, you do certainly have this act of defiance from Moraine, it's also a scene where uh, Siwon, like, is very much, like, enacting her power. Like, she feels, like, very authoritative and badass. She makes, uh, she makes Moraine put her head to the ground, her forehead to the ground and ask for forgiveness. It's like act of obeisance, yeah. And then she says that she's going to decide what to do with Moraine tomorrow. Um, Yes. So Moraine is kicked out of the hall and then she goes and finds out that Matt and Perrin, or sorry, Matt and Rand are in the city um, and she goes to them uh, and Matt is really sick. Yeah, and she has to, she has to release Matt from his knife madness. Sorry, there's somebody, I'm stealing the term, I will note I'm stealing the term knife madness from somebody whose recap I read. I don't actually remember who it is, (laughs) but I will, so I I will try to like find it and put it in the show notes because as soon as I read it, I just kept like, I just kept like using in my head the phrase knife madness to describe (laughs) that whole situation. So uh, they've been in the city, they saw Logan getting taken through earlier uh, in the last episode. Um, They've been hiding out and Matt's been getting more sick. they found Nineveh because Loyal went into uh went into the gardens. Rand thinks that Nineveh is dead at this point, but obviously he described Nineveh uh, or to or Egwene to Loyal, and he went in and just happened to find somebody who looks yeah, a bit like, hey. and brings it back. Um, so Nineveh finally uh tells Moraine, and Moraine goes to where the boys are, and she heals Matt now. This is completely different to what happens in the book. Um, I'm assuming that there's going to be a little bit more of a connection later on. So in the book, it doesn't happen until the start of book two, where a group of Aesodai, I think it's seven of them, try to heal. together, yeah. Yeah, All do together to semi-heal Matt. So not even fully heal, don't get fully heal until book three. Um, But Moraine does it all in one go. The corruption is horrible and tries to crime inside her mouth and all this other stuff. And she puts it back into the dagger. And Matt is at least feeling better. But it's at this point you can tell that the actor had left the show and wasn't Mm -hmm. really around. He was there for that scene, but he's never really seen again after this until the end of uh, this episode. And he's only even there for... 30 seconds and what he does is a clear this is the end of him in the show no he doesn't die or anything but it's just oh, like, right but it's he like makes a is... decision yeah so 
Um, Again, it makes sense. It, it, it's understandable that because he's gone, that's why certain things had to change. It's just disappointment yeah, that they I'll, did that way. And I, I will, yeah, I'll give them a pass on this because it seemed like in retrospect, it's clear that it was something with the actor. I found it very annoying when I was watching the show. It didn't know that they like that the actor had been recast and that all of that stuff had happened. I found it sort of frustrating in terms of like the that they just like ditched that kind of um yeah. but i'll give them a pass given the situation which is obviously not what they wanted i imagine i give them a semi-pass but i'll explain why it's only a semi-pass when we get there um and then uh we get uh which i can only uh, only describe as uh, an abomination of a scene uh Sarah you mean the Marine, scene uh, that is absolutely canonical from the books i'm not sure sarah what what is it you're talking about uh, we find out that, so first of all, that, you know, Moraine and Siwan, uh, are actually very much working together and that, uh, kind of display of defiance and of the exercise of power in terms of their relationship in, with one another in the, uh, the hall was very much a ruse. And that, in fact, they are not only, in fact, working together, but they are lovers. And I think that this is absolutely heavily implied in the prequel and happened and was saying this and said this when I read the prequel, by the way, uh, that it was absolutely implied in the prequel. So I'm glad that others picked up on that clearly canonical implication of a romantic relationship between uh, uh, between Moraine and Siwan and have made it canon. Yeah, it's uh, just to, to go one step further, there are some people who don't pick up on it. Uh, they refer to them as pillow friends. We talked about this in the other episode. If two characters are ever referred to as pillow friends in uh, in the Wheel of Time series, um, it means that they were lovers at one point. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I love, 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 love this choice in the show. And uh, it... Uh, there's, I will say, uh, you know, as we go along, there are going to be things choices that the show makes that I'm not fond of. There are enough choices that I adore that that is absolutely like leading to me being very, very positive in a lot of ways on the show. And this is one of them. It made me very, very happy. Well, this uh, makes me very happy. And then, sorry, it directly leads to uh, one of the things that actually, factually made me angry as I was watching the show, which is, um, so... In this scene, before they, right. or just after they make love, they're having a nice romantic uh, thing um, where it's very funny because Moraine is uh, subservient in public, but clearly the dom in the relationship right. when, yeah. when they're in private, um, which is also something uh, which is mentioned a couple of times in that the tracks. books, in particular between yeah. Lan and Neneve. Moraine says to Siwan, you need to send me into exile. So she comes up with the plan that tomorrow morning she will stand there in front of the entire people and send her to exile. Moraine is the person who came up with this plan. They go to the Tower of the Hall the next day. Siwan takes out the oath rod, which is something that doesn't really appear in the books right. later on, to make an oath on it, which Moraine, and she says to Moraine publicly, you're going to say this in front of the hall, the exact same words that I'm going to say. And she says, I swear to the Amirlin. And then Moraine says, I swear to you, see you, Sanchez. Perfect. Love it. She's making it very special. And for something that happens later on in the series, if they uh-huh. go that route, it's very, very important. And yes. then Moraine, for some reason, and yes, 
the people who defend this say she lowers her voice. She lowers her voice in the way that I'm about to lower my voice. I am speaking at this tone. Now I'm speaking at this tone. That, that's, that's how much she lowers her voice. It's not a whisper. And even if it was a whisper, she's meant to be saying these things in uh, in front of the hall because that's what Siwan mm-hmm. asked her to do. And also they are legally binding. And they're legally binding. Like, and you will die starts, if you break an oath sworn on the oath yes, She starts saying personal stuff. And for a set of incredibly intelligent characters, and Moraine is an incredibly intelligent character, there is no way in hell it is consistent with her character to suddenly start calling Siwan pet names mm-hmm. in public, right? In particular... Nobody else is going to know that that's what her dad had said to her when he was right. leaving her or letting her go. And we know, like, I get it. It's a, a representation that Moraine and Siwan may never see each other again, mm-hmm. right? But Moraine is not stupid. She's not, like, they are putting on this show of hatred between the two women. And then she's there, Siwan Sancho, clever as a pike, sharp as a thing, as, as beautiful as the morning sun. I can't remember the exact... Or as bright as the morning sun. This, you know, the like clearly right, that like lovers' comments or relationship comments, and it doesn't need to be done. And this is the yeah. issue: is that when people come along to defend the show and the choices the show makes, they defend everything, even right. the stuff that doesn't need to be defended. And this is a bad move. It's a silly thing from Rain to do. A very intelligent woman who's not suddenly going to... Right. It doesn't really make sense that you have those, like, giveaways, essentially, in this, like, in this room. In this scene. Yeah. Like, we know... And I I was having this conversation with somebody, or or a text conversation with somebody the other day, where they were like, oh, well, it's because she just got exiled, so she's emotional. The exiling was her idea. Yeah, it was her plan. Yeah. She's not blindsided by the exiling. Yeah. So, like, hey, uh, uh, Sarah, I want you to set an alarm for... 22.31 and then your alarm goes off in a minute from this time I'm not going to suddenly go oh my god what's that alarm I'm so shocked by it like and that's the way they're acting she's emotional because of this Maureen the character in the books the character in the show would not have done this so it's mm-hmm. just a bad example of writing that follows on from what I thought was an excellent scene of the two of them together yeah. and then suddenly they have them do this and you're like there's no need to do this. Like, this is, yeah. this is silly and for I, them to do this. But And I will say also, like, otherwise, I really like the scene and that, like, I really, like, I think, like, the drama and the ritual of the exile is uh Yes, is excellent. it's fantastic. Yeah. It's just, as I said, if she did get to the point where she was whispering so nobody else could hear it, the hall would obviously ask, what did you just say there? Right. Like, the, the sitters watching are not going to go, oh, well, she just whispered stuff. She could have whispered anything at that point. So it had to have been said loud enough for people to hear. She doesn't lower her voice, I think. So it was a silly mistake to make. But it leads to Moraine being exiled, so she gets to leave the city. She's already yeah. picked up Perrin and Egwin. Uh, Nineveh is coming with her. Lan is coming with her. She talks to Loyal, uh, the Ogier, and she's like, will you take us to the ways? And the episode ends with them at the ways. Moraine opens the way gate. Using mm-hmm. the one power, which is not something that's required in the book, but because the Ogier can do it using uh, a leaf. But in the extras, it's shown that Padden Fane, a character that we haven't really mentioned, right. can do it with a leaf. So, I mean, it's in the extras. Technically, I mm-hmm. would prefer if it was in the show. I don't think stuff that's in the extras should count. But uh, he opens it as well. And as they're getting into the way gate and it's about to close, Matt steps out and doesn't go. 
and yeah. that's because he was out. So Matt has effectively left the group, which again isn't really consistent with the character of Matt. Of all the things right. he would do, he's loyal, but it's understandable because the actor left. So this is their yeah. way of separating so, the party. So again. that's my, yeah. So that's my, like, when I was watching the show, I was very much like, what is happening? Why are you doing this? In retrospect, as I said, I will give them a pass. Um, Which leads to what I think is the best episode in the, the season. The Dark Along the uh, Ways. Yes, The Dark Along the Ways. Yeah, so they uh, they go into the ways and um, are guided by Loyal, and um, the trip eventually, relatively quickly, uh, seems to be not going great. There's uh, there's a Trolloc that they uh, they have to fight against, and Gigwain in particular is kind of fighting against the Trolloc. And uh, there's also this thing called in the uh, the Machin Sheen, the Black Wind, which basically like whispers mean things to you, essentially. Um, yeah, it's not what it does in the book, but it's what it does in the show. But again, because this was filmed afterwards and they were on crunch time and they had, you know, they were probably running out of budget because stuff was over because there was like 20 weeks of yeah. shutdown or 15 weeks of shutdown. You can understand that they may have been stretched limit wise. It's not the best CGI that to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. But they get attacked by Trollocs. You get a quick glimpse of Pat and Fane, the character I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, who has been following them. He was in the Two Rivers and is right. a dark friend who led the Trollocs there. Which at the and moment you do not really know. At the moment you basically like watching the show, like you saw this guy, he was like a peddler in the first episode. If you are really, really paying very close attention, which to be honest, even knowing who Pat and Fane was, I missed this until other people pointed it out to me. There's like bits here and there where it's just like in a little corner. It's like, oh, there's Pat and Fane. Yeah, um, and you can you can sometimes hear him whistling in the background, basically. Yeah. But we kind of skipped something because the best scene in season one is the cold open to episode seven, which is the blood snow. The uh, with mm. with Rand's mm-hmm. mom. That's right. Uh, sorry, we we don't really know it at that point, but we an have an ideal woman warrior lady, and she's pregnant, and she's on a snowy mountain, which may or may not be an important place for her to be, and mm-hmm. she gets set upon by a bunch of dudes, and uh, she fucks them up. <laughs> like, yes, she does. Well, like nine months a, pregnant. Awesome. It's a f- even if you're never going to watch the show, even if you. If you have a passing interest in action scenes, just watch this action scene. It is yes. legitimately of a standard that is way beyond what you would expect on network TV. Think of any of the one-on-one battles or one-on-four, one-on-five battles that were in Game of Thrones. This is it's better. better. It's good. It's a really good scene. Yeah. It's a really good scene. And it ends with birth. her giving birth and then a sword, which looks very familiar, just popping in the shot. It's got it's got a little birdie marked on it. Nice little heron, cute little heron. We have seen that cute, cute little, little heron. heron before. It's cute little heron that's in the wrong place based on how it should be described. But anyway, it's a cute little heron. <laughs> Sorry, but it's on a this, cute little heron that's on this sword. It's on this nice little sword that, by the way, if you've been paying attention, you might see was the sword that belonged to Rand's father and that now belongs to Rand. And uh, do we see this right already in the cold open? Her actually like giving birth and. Yeah. yeah. Uh we see so she uh you know so he you know holds a sword to her and then basically kind of sees that he's giving birth and like well she stops it, it stops there. We do get the actual birth later on. Yeah, so we get that later in the episode. He's talking to right. Min. Yeah. Yes. Um so basically um that's where we are. Uh and then we get the stuff in the ways. They escape because Nanive again uses her magic powers 
to uh, hold Mack and Shin back enough, long enough for Moraine to open the ways. And they come out and they're in a deserty place and they're walking towards the city, a fortress city called Faldara. And uh, Faldara is cool. It's a cool place in the book. The, the yes. country is called Shinar. They're described as being, uh, you know, warriors with top knots. It's very Asian inspired. Mm-hmm. Lan is from this general region as well. He's from a, yes. a, a Malkir, country called Malkir. Which is very which is why a lot of people are like I have always pictured Lan as as basically being a big strong mm-hmm. Asian guy. So it makes sense for me to, that I'm really happy with Daniel Henny. Other people don't because they you know are racist. He's not white, whatever they're racist. But we meet uh, the Lord and Lady of this uh, Annalisa or Amalisa and Agilmar, and they're they're nice. They're friendly towards them, mm-hmm. and uh, they're all getting you know ready to to basically uh, learn some stuff. And Moraine takes him to meet a lady who works in the bar called Min. Yes! Excited. So I, I don't want to give anything away, but I will say I really like Min. And I will just say we will see more of Min. But so she is a seer. And essentially the way this works is that when she sees people, she she sees basically kind of things around them. And often it's essentially kind of like symbols that she doesn't necessarily immediately know how to interpret. Sometimes it's a little bit clearer, uh, but that she she has at least some inkling of uh, aspects of uh, what their future would be. And in some ways, kind of what their uh, their past, like some things about their past as well, potentially. And initially, she, uh, you know, sees these uh, young people and uh, Moraine wants her to tell her which one of them is the dragon reborn. And she basically says that kind of they're they're all linked and they're all too closely connected and seeing them all together, I can't quite say at the moment. Yeah, so she sees them all together. She's, there's too much there. She sees a baby with Rand. Um, she sees a couple of other things, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like it's it's not particularly exciting at this point. We just we've learned that she's there and she can see these things. Then we get a couple of scenes where one Nineve and uh, Lan go and have a nice dinner with some friends of Lan. It's really nice. We see them bonding and and getting closer to each other, and then they go back, and uh, they do the nasty. Yeah, and she also learns and we learn about uh, Lan's background, which is that he is in fact the the heir to the kingdom of Malkir, which is uh, at mostly, I would say, an honorary title in the sense that Malkir was uh, essentially kind of swallowed up by the blight. There is no Malkir. Yes, he would have been the king, except uh, he was a baby when he was taken around, so the, the crown never passed to him. Mm-hmm. He's what is referred to in the books as the diademed battle lord, mm-hmm. um, which basically would be the king in exile. That he would be the war leader, and that's what the the, the Malkir had. Um, but it was betrayed to the shadow. Um, so somebody in their ranks betrayed them, so let the Trollocs in to destroy them, mm-hmm. and that's why Shinar Shinar is the. Uh, is the front line now in yes. the battle against the uh, the Dark One and the Blight. Um, but she does the nasty with Lan. Uh, again, because the show is like the books. In the books, everything like this would fade to black, and the mm-hmm. show fades to black as well. Yeah, you uh, don't see much. But while they were doing that, Nineveh, uh, or sorry, just before this, before they go and do the nasty, uh, we have a scene where Nineveh calls out Perrin for maybe being in love with Egwene. Rand has a fight with Perrin, like a verbal fight. It's very... Yeah very you know emotional teen drama then he sleeps with Egwene again 
And she's like, no, I have no feelings for Perrin. And like, you're like, okay, that's fine. Then he goes to talk to Min on his own. Well, and even before he goes and talks to Min, he comes to a, uh, some realizations is actually, it's even before he goes and talks to her that he is uh, like, he's shooting an arrow and he basically start. And essentially what we see is we see a lot of things that we've already seen actually, but that we see them now through the lens of Rand realizing that he's the dragon reborn. So like we see uh, that scene, right? Going back where he bursts through this like really hefty door. We see now we see the one power with its corruption swirling around and that's how he broke the door. Um, for example. So, uh, so we see him like essentially using the one power in ways that, you know, were not visible to us as viewers at the time that are now then made visible to us. And he's also like, does the same thing when he's like fighting off a Trolloc. Uh, we also yeah, see the like- Yeah, Trolloc attracts him into ways and uh, Egwene thinks that she knocked him over the but edge. But it's actually both it was of actually, them, I guess. It was, or, well, yeah. she, she was, she embraces the source, but it's him who knocks it off. Yeah, yeah. So that's why- Moraine wasn't instantly aware that it was right. Exactly, right. she, she assumed she that could it was sense Egwene, it in, in Egwene. right? Um, but and Egwene then he, probably he also talks assumed, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will just he, say, uh, the well, one thing, other thing that I will say is that so Machine Sheen was, as I said in the show, it basically kind of like whispers mean things to people, and it like whispers all of these, like you know, you're like, oh, you're like, you know, that you like, you like are this like, you know, blah blah blah, like you, you know, will never amount to anything, etc. And for Rand, it's just like you're the dragon reborn guy. <laughs> you, you've always known it. Well, in the the first scene we see him, it's telling him that you won't be able to keep her alive. Right. Uh, and then in this second one, it's coming back like, you've always known you're the Dragon Reborn. You've known it the whole time. And because he talks to Min, mm-hmm. Min says that she's seen his sword before. Uh-huh. And she saw the sword with a man carrying a baby yes. 20 years ago. And, and we see the rest of that scene. And we said the rest of that scene, which is the baby is born. And Tam, that's Ran's dad takes the baby and the mother dies and he walks off with the baby and in the books this is explained in the very first chapter or mm-hmm. well not the first chapter it's actually the fifth chapter but it's explained in the chapter during the Beltine attack right which is very uh, much a, like you, all right you read that chapter and you're like all right got it right rants a dragon reborn exactly straight away it has to be it has to be the dragon reborn but this is done in flashback because they wanted there to be a mystery yeah and then that leads to ran realizing this so he goes and knocks on moraine's door and says i'm the dragon reborn it's me. Yes. Um, and yeah, the one other thing, yeah, so that I, I will also add just in terms of like the emphasis on the fact that despite being played by Ruse Bolton, Tam is a very likable man. He is part yeah. of the army, it seems like, that the IL woman was fighting against. But when basically he sees that she's like in the process of giving birth, he like stands there and it seems like attempts to be like moderately helpful. He actually, with his Mark sword, uh, cuts the umbilical cord. Uh, but yeah, but then she dies and he takes the baby. Yeah, so that's he 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 was going to kill her, but just like it, the way it's described in the books, you don't get the action scene, but you mm-hmm. get I came across her. The baby was blue from cold. She was just well, about to he's, die. He's like hallucinating, basically, because like he was seriously injured in the Trolloc attack, yeah. right? And as Rand is like carrying him to the village so that he can be healed, uh, he starts basically like in like his delirium, mumbling this whole story about how like he's not Rand's father, and Rand is like, um, 
Yeah. And then Rand spends three or four books going, he is my dad. And this is important. Uh, it takes more than just DNA to be a father. Yeah, of Tam course. is his father. Of course and he is. Rand finally re-acknowledges this near the end of the series when he meets up with Tam again. And they have a love, a couple of lovely father-son moments. There's even, there's a great scene. I don't want to spoil too much. There's a great scene where Lan or Tam calls out a female bully for being a bully. And it, it really helps to give Rand strength in that moment to realize that, you know, people can't push him around or whatever. And then they have loads of these like bonding moments where Lan, Rand really finally acknowledges that, yes, you are still my dad no matter what happens before. But it's just, it's always so funny that Rand ignores the clear knowledge that he's not his biological father right. for at least five weeks. He's like, he's my dad. But, but you understand he's not though <laughs> it's like yes he is your he's your father but he's not biologically your father and you you know this like that doesn't mean that you don't have a father-son relationship with him but also you know if like your background is relevant if like your biological background is in some way relevant to your whole deal Tam Althor is yeah, not part of your biological exactly. background. That's that's the thing. It's just it's funny in the book that he takes so long to yeah. stop saying. And it's like, like your dad like, literally, like your dad literally told you, like I'm not your father. Like, yeah. But I said, Rand says this, and then we end with Marine and Rand going into the blight on their own, and everyone else sitting around going, "Oh my God, where have they gone?" Um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. We start then into the last episode, which is called The Eye of the World, which is the name of the book, The Eye of the World. Yes. And it's also the name of the last chapter, or one of the last chapters in the book, The Eye of the World. Uh, and it is Moraine and Rand walking through the blight. Don't get me started on how they're touching trees and stuff, because that's what we do it. Now, yeah, first thing is, they don't touch the trees, then they keep touching the trees. Constantly. Right. So there's a couple of things just to address here. Number one, this is the most affected by barney harris leaving so that's matt's character leaving mm -hmm. and it's after covid and they couldn't have all the extras they wanted on the set so the cgi is very ropey there's a scene later on in this where the, the trollocs are all standing facing the the warriors and it's like it's bad it's like playstation 2 graphics xbox 360 level graphics it's, it's terrible right but i can excuse all of that right and i can look at it and go there were issues there are some writing decisions in this which yeah. are just flat out bad they didn't need to be done and the justifications for them don't wash like they i see i i know i'm gonna sound like i'm angry at this and i'm gonna sound like this because i was so high on the series up until this point yeah from here on out this episode is bad it's a bad episode of tv there are individual uh -huh. things in it which are good so the performance by ishamil or ishamil um i've always said ishamil i know it's not but it's ishamil um amayel yeah amayel um, but i always just go ishamil because you know I'm, I'm basic uh he's fantastic he's a yeah. brilliant actor and he yeah. does a fantastic job in it um the the idea of linking to fight the Trollocs is really good. The, and the, and the uh, staging of it is gorgeous. Yeah, and the staging of it is really good and it's really it's, it's done really well. But there are other decisions. Right? So Lan 
spends the episode, he goes to talk to Neneve and he's like, where is Maureen? I can't follow her, she's basking the bond. And even though he spent 20 plus years with Maureen, Neneve says, oh, I didn't follow you in episode three, like I said. I was actually following her, she's got a tell. So apparently Neneve picked up this tell in one go and Lan has never been able to do it. So then Lan spends the rest of the episode walking. The greatest warrior in the series yeah. doesn't get to have a fight scene because he has to go walking after Marine. It would, you know, it wouldn't do any sense. Um, and the other Amelisa, thing that I found yeah, frustrating on, about that is also that okay, I'm fond of Marine having tracking skills, right? Great, but I feel like it would have been more interesting if, like, what if what it had turned out had actually happened was that Nynaeve was actually able to track Marine because of something having to do with the One Power, and then cut down on the walking and have Lan and Nynaeve also had have Nynaeve have to go with Lan and then the two of them be at the eye of the world. Perfect. Straight away, that makes way more sense to me that you've got a reason for Nynaeve to go with him and Nynaeve and yeah. Lan can get there. But then you wouldn't then just have Lan just walking for Oh yeah, for you, the you truncate I can't the, dis- yes, you truncate the like, distance so that he actually like, they actually like get there in time literally to just leaves. matter. And then it's just cut to a couple of scenes of him walking. That's all that happens yeah. for him for the rest of the season or rest of the yeah. episode. We, we get there and they have conversations where Marie. So La, Ran says, I can channel. Uh, he asks Moraine, why will she teach him? And Moraine says, no, um, because you'll go mad. And I'm going to get to this in the Fabula Nostra thing. Uh, my issue with this is that's not why she can't teach him. Yeah, and she can't. Yes, like, they talk about this a lot. They talk about this a lot in the books. Uh, I'll get to why I think they're changing it. And again, this is, you know, personal opinion and why I think they're going to make those changes. But it's just one of those weird things where it's badly written that, yes, yeah. she doesn't have to lie to him at that point. She knows what he is. But he gets there anyway. He has this talky battle with... Um, with the, uh, also, the dark one or who, who thinks he is yeah, the dark one she also gives him the sangreal yeah she gives him the sangreal which is basically something which will emphasize his power and make him stronger but the power it seems to work for both men and women but we'll get to that again that, that comes up later on um but he has this talky fight with the dark one which uh, or who he thinks is the dark one and then he eventually overpowers the dark one that's fine right in the books, after this event with the Dark One, he goes and he saves all the soldiers in Tarwin's Gap. In the show, they kill off all the soldiers and right. then have five the five women channelers. Uh, Marie, or sorry, number one, Neneve, is able to just join that link without being angry. She just joins. Right, so we've gotten um, rid of that aspect, which I gotten rid of the block, by. Which I, is super I like important. And it's, yeah. So she just joins in. Uh, Amelisa, who isn't particularly strong and was not strong enough to become an Aes Sedai, suddenly is drinking in all the power. And I love that they show it as the power is really seductive and you can get high from it and to and the point yeah, where you basically you overdose that, it. Yeah. But she burns out a few of the other women, including Nineveh. So Nineveh and Aguin basically become batteries for this woman. She uses their power to kill all the Trollocs after letting the Trollocs kill all the men. Um, right, they're just all dead now. They're all dead now, including Agilmar, who is a character who is essential for one of the major plot points in the last Which book of the series. Yeah, it's also just very confusing in terms of what the strategy 
is that it seems like it would yep. have made more sense to have uh, I mean it seems like it, like it seems like having just oh well okay over there we're going to put all of the soldiers and keep our fingers crossed and over here we're going to put all of the channelers and keep our fingers crossed when, like it seems like that's not the best battle plan when she goes against his wishes he tells them to abandon the city effectively and right. then she's like no we're going to we're going to man the city or woman the city because they put women up looking after the siege engines but Again, it would have made more sense for her to go and stand on the walls with them. Like, if she's yeah. going to defy Agalmar, then defy him and go do some good where you can. As opposed right, to so letting not everybody dies. all the other soldiers die. Yes. So it's, it just seems foolish that that's the way it was. But Nineveh dies. Like, that right. is a and death and, Yeah, and Egwene, like, resurrects her. She does it Fox style by crying on her. Um... <laughs> Because she's, and it's like, I know she's supposed to be powerful, but like resurrection's a little much. It's it's just, it's too far because it's the one thing in the books that you can't heal is death. Yeah. Uh, people will say, like, the, the description that the book uh, or that the showrunner has given for this is, oh, she was at level five burnout. Dude, this is one of those things where people come back after it's like, oh crap, people are annoyed that, you know, she was burned out. So let's just say, oh no, she didn't die. It was level five burnout, which looks like death but isn't really. Right. So she wasn't healed from death. She was healed from this. The other thing is, because Matt was gone from the show, they've replaced Perrin in what his character would have been doing, right. which is interacting with Padden Fane, because yes. Perrin has no interaction with Padden Fane, but because Perrin Karen, is basically yeah. then doing nothing. He takes an entire day to break some bricks, and then he walks away, comes Yeah, he back, like sees Padden Fane, take Horn. and then it's just like Horn of Valir. but he I'm also sees uh, Loyal gets stabbed with the Shadow Logar Logar Dagger which kills them Uno gets stabbed with the dagger Masima gets stabbed with the dagger and the showrunner has come out and said oh they're not dead but if but we know if you get stabbed with that dagger you're dead or at least like you're not doing great you're at least like you've got you've got some problems and like i'm just also like this is the part of the episode where so this one is one of the other ones that i watched uh, i watched this with my mom and there's like a, a you know who knew some things but didn't know a lot of things because i think she had not actually finished book one at that point and i just at this point though i keep like getting to moments where i just keep saying like what what and like every time my voice gets like an octave higher as i'm just like what are you doing what are you doing here yeah, and that's that's the issue I have with it is there's too much of the show is spent. Oh, sorry, the the first seven episodes is fantastic, and then too much of the show is spent on bad fan fiction. Like it doesn't feel true to what the series is. And people will say, and the people who defend this goes, "Oh no, it's justified because of these are the difficulties they were having." And I get that, and I understand that's why the CGI was bad. But some of the story decisions in this. Are act like they're functionally bad. Yeah, especially they, like, they shouldn't take place. And death fake outs are so tacky. Death Not fake outs. Tacky. That's okay. so bad, but it's just it's too okay, much. Okay, I don't like death fake outs, but I also like the death fake outs aren't even as bad. Honestly, the thing that like made me just like lose my goddamn mind watching this episode is the like more rain seems like she gets stilled. Yeah. Now, I think what like, has happened what? in here. What now, are you doing? I can just. I justify this. I I don't mind what they've done here because that I, hate. I hate it. I no no. I I don't like it, but I don't mind it because book two has almost no marine in it, okay. and because she's number one on the call sheet, and she's a producer on the show, they're not going to do a season if book you know if season two of is course, book yeah. two. 
which doesn't have Moraine. I'm fine that they need to give Moraine something to do. They've now given her a mission in season two, which is go find out a way to undo this issue. So I don't think she's been stilled. I think she was shielded and the shield was tied off because you can see him Mm -hmm. do the same net that the shield was done earlier and then he twists it and closes his hand this is the dark one or who per or ran thinks is the dark one um and he closes that off so i think what they're going to do is then that is the mission from rain and but if he was killed shouldn't that have undone herbie that shouldn't that have undone it but was he killed and that's the thing but I don't mind that. But you're right. That it, It's a silly thing to do. Because if it is turns out that she's shielded, it doesn't make any sense. There's no need to do it. And it just adds unnecessary complications. But I said, I just think that the last episode yeah, is bad. I don't like it. it. Now, Sarah, we've, we're we coming up oh, at 2 hours say, 35 I know, minutes. but we have to say that the very last thing that happens in the last episode. I know we're coming. I know, I know. This is very long. The last episode is that we have a bunch of ships arrive. And on the bunch of ships... There are a group of people who look like they're maybe not super nice. They also seem to have uh, channelers who maybe are uh, being controlled and not acting totally of their own volition. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like that's yeah, implied. And they've got, uh, they've got dummies in their mouth. So uh, you guys yep. call them suckers in America. So they've got those in their mouth, which is weird because like they pacifiers. should have like changed things. Pacifiers. Um, yeah, sorry. I couldn't think of a word that you would use. We they got pacifiers in their mouth. It looks weird. Does no. a, a little girl on the beach... And, uh, and that little girl and is dead create, now because they create yeah. this fucking tidal wave for no reason. Uh, they are the big bads for book two. Yes. They are an outside force who may or may not be controlled by some shadowy figures. Yes. But um, yeah, that was the end of season one of Wheel of Time. And I cannot believe gone this far. Sarah, um, unfortunately, we may have to cut this section really, really short. But uh, can you tell us about the Historia et Veritas? Okay, so I'm going to do a two-minute spiel about the visual culture in this show and how I think it's really, really cool, which is essentially what I really like is that it is a blending of a bunch of different architectural styles that you see at various points throughout the show and in a way that no individual place is just one specific thing. There's a lot of, there's influences that are coming from India and China and Japan and Western Europe and the Islamic world. And uh, every place seems like it's distinctive, but none of them is just like, oh, this place is India and this place is, uh, you know, Spain and this place is France. Uh, So I really like that. But the one actually specific thing that I will say, things that I know about, thanks to a tweet uh, from a colleague of mine, Abigail Balbal, which is that she comments that one of the warder's helmets in episode four, actually, she recognized some of the figures on his helmet as directly taken from a uh, an ivory frame uh, from the Fatimid era. So from uh, Islamic uh, Egypt, I think, in uh, the 11th to 12th century. So oh, awesome. very cool. Yeah. So that Excellent. is the entire Historia uh, Veritas section. Good. I, I can't believe we went this long. So... <laughs> We better go into what we what we like about the adaptation. So, Fabula Nostra. So, rather than say, what here's a movie version of what we like to see, because obviously I love the books so much, and we've already talked about this. Yes. I want the books to be the books. Um, Sarah, how did what did you like about season one, and what 
what did you not like and what would you like to change? And so, what would you like to see for season two? Yeah, so we've already obviously talked a lot about this. I will say one of the things, the big changes that I really liked that they made in season one is I really liked the making the dragon reborn a bit of more of a mystery and making it a bit more of an ensemble cast, which I actually think the later books do. I think in the later books it becomes an ensemble cast and a bit less like look at Rand. Um, uh, so I liked actually that the show did that earlier. And, uh, so what I guess I would like to see going forward is, um, I hope they undo 80% of the things that they did in the last episode. Uh, but I would like to, I would like to see it kind of continue to be an ensemble cast. So, you know, I don't like the Moran um, shielding, stilling, whatever is happening arc per se, but I am very much looking forward to seeing more of Rosamund Pike. Uh, and I'm in general, I mean, looking forward to seeing more of pretty much all of these actors. I think they pretty much all gave phenomenal performances. Um, otherwise, I feel like there's not that much I can say without actually giving away things about the upcoming books. But that also the one things along those lines that I will say is that I am really excited to see more of Min, uh, who we saw only a little bit of. And I am excited to see how the uh, the Shantan develop as uh, we move forward. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I really like the adaptation. Uh, I, most of the changes I was perfectly on board with. There's one thing in particular that I have an issue with in season one. Um, beyond the last episode and beyond the fridging at the beginning. Uh, in the Wheel of Time, magic is is binary in nature. So it's separated into, think of it as yin and yang, because that's how it's always drawn, the black half of the circle and the white half of the circle, the dragon's fang and the the um, tear of Tarvalon, right? So that's the way they've always described it. And I see why people have an issue with that and why they might want to change it, mm -hmm. right? So they might not want to explicitly say that men and women use different power. That's the way the book goes. And if you're going to adapt that story, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't still have that aspect. And the show seems to be going out of its way to not have that aspect in there because, as I said, Logan was able to see the weaves done by uh, Nynaeve. Um Moraine gets asked explicitly about this and never says that women can't train men when the way she says it in mm -hmm. the book. Um, there's no real indication of this. And the problem is that if you're going to do away with the binary nature of the power, and I get it, if you want to do that, do it. Do if you if you if if it's too much, or you think in 2021, 2022, that it's too much to have a gendered binary power source of men can only access Satan, women can only access Sadar. If if you think that's too far, then you can't keep the limitations which come with it mm -hmm. without explaining and justifying how. So in the story, the male half of the power, because only men went to right. lock the dark one in the prison, he only had access to touch the male half of the source so it became tainted the women's source was never touched by the dark one so therefore it was pure in the show they haven't separated the male and female powers at all 
Well, but that's the problem is that they actually do vary occasionally is it actually does say that the Aes Sedai can't see Logan channeling. And it's obvious that clearly Moraine never saw Rand channeling. And so it's like they keep it when it's convenient and they lose it when it's inconvenient. So it's very messy. See, That's what I'm getting at is they're not because they're not being consistent and not blatantly. And I think it's because they're shying away from doing it because they don't want to say our magic is binary in this world um, or in this version. So that you still have this taint on corruption on the male half of the source and no justification for why it's there. So there's no explanation of why women and men, why men are having the black stuff come with it and the women aren't. So if they're going to do this, they need to be consistent about it throughout the series. Now, when I'm talking about this with other people, again, I really like the series up until Mm -hmm. episode eight I, like genuinely i thought it was fantastic way better than i thought it was going to be um more, way better than i actually dreamed it was going to be um and i'm not a misogynist and i i i'd like to think i'm relatively woke and i have no issue with the casting whatsoever with the exception of marcus rutherford who i think is actively bad as parent but if they are not going to have Satan and sadar you really can't have that taint on just the male source without right. an explanation of it and there's none so far so i wish i hope that they go and explain how this is happening yeah in, in the series satan is mentioned once in the old tongue in the cold intro mm-hmm. to episode eight and that's not enough because when you watch that with subtitles which I mean, none of us speak the old tongue not even you sarah um when you watch that it only translates it as your power it doesn't translate it as the male power source so there isn't enough to separate the male and female parts and again i'm totally okay with them doing away with the binary nature but give me an explanation as to why only the male power source is thing and people are defending it going oh it'll come later on it should have come by now it should have been in the series it's not too much to say i want that explained to me and and that's the problem is once you criticize this, because of the nature of people being on the internet now, you can't criticize one thing without being lumped in as a show hater or somebody who wants the books exactly like they were adapted onto the screen. And like that's that's not how I am. That's not who most of the people who have small issues are. I don't like the fridging. I don't like the slight changes to Matt's backstory. I don't like Neneve being a superhero at, at this point. I, I, I really want her to be a superhero by book six or episode six. And I'm, a, I'm okay with her level of ability when she can do it. That I'm fine with. I just, I, I wish that it still had the light. Like, I wish it still had the block, actually. Because then it can still have the moments where she gets angry and she channels and she's amazing and badass. So, yeah. I, but I, I think the stuff with, intermediate. The stuff with Steppen. I'm totally okay with the stuff with C.U.N. and Moraine. I'm absolutely okay with all of the scenes that we got up until season seven. I'm absolutely in love with the show. Thought it was fantastic. I just wish there was more clarity behind it. And episode one and episode eight are the two weakest episodes in the series, right? Episode one, I would have given a seven to. uh, And I think all the other episodes are at least an eight and most of them are nine and at least two of them are tens for me. And then episode eight is like a five or a six. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm even being generous in what I would actually rate it by saying it's a five or a six. So I really like the show. 
I just wish that they were more clear. And in book two, or sorry, season two, uh, I think what they're going to do is combine books two and three. Yeah. So that book two, they're going to take most of the math story mm-hmm. and ignore it. And per- or Ran's story is going to be taken away from that as well. They're going to focus on the girls going to Tarvalon to learn and then maybe dealing with the Shan Can. Uh, Matt will be, I'm assuming, there as well. And then Ran's going to head towards Tyr. Uh, right. And then that will be the big denouement of thing. So I think they'll combine those two books into one. I just hope they explain what has happened yeah. to cause this delineation between stuff. Because one, if they do explain these little things, and, they, and what was great about season one is that as you were going along, at the end of episode one, there were people who had certain complaints that were addressed in episode three. There were people who had a complaint about episode three that was then addressed in episode five. Like So you could tell that the people writing it knew what they were doing mm-hmm. and knew the source material. It's just that episode eight felt like such a weird misstep yeah. of changes for the sake of changes. And again, some of them were justified and... Maybe not justified, but understandable because of the limitations of COVID and losing a main actor and stuff. But I just hope that they go back to addressing this stuff properly so that I can get fully on board with it. But yeah, I think it's been a good adaptation. Yeah. I just, I'm hoping for better with, I, I also, the one main thing I want for season two is I would like there to be 10 episodes instead of eight. Yeah, I think that that would make sense. And yeah, and I and I do agree with you in terms of I think they need to give more kind of clarity and explanation to the to kind of how the how this magic system works. And and I say that, you know, as somebody who also, you know, in reading the books, as I said, I disagree with a lot of the critiques that I have heard of the books as being misogynist. A lot of those critiques I disagree with. The one the one thing about them from a gender perspective that I would say I'm most critical of probably is that like the idea of Sidene and Sidar is at least very, very binary. I don't know that I would go so far as to call it misogynist per say because it's not I don't know there's things about it in terms of how the magic works here and there it's a little bit like "Eh, okay I see you're kind of doing like sort of strict like ideas about what masculine and feminine means and I'm kind of "Eh," on that but in some ways like my biggest problem with it reading the books was actually even more that like you're kind of creating this like situation in which like a non-binary magic user can't exist but uh, but that's which under which is understandable because I'm sure Robert Jordan in the time when he was writing like was not thinking about non-binary people you know based on the time that he was writing but anyway so but all that to say I do understand the why they might want to try and move away from it, but they can't have it both ways, right? Like you can't have it when it's convenient and not have it when it's inconvenient. You have to come up with some internally consistent explanation for how it's all working. Um, So yeah, so that's kind of my feeling on that is that if you want to make changes, so it is a little less gender binary focused, I would be okay with that as long as they come, like, you know, I I would love for it to be less gender binary, but they have to also make it make sense. Yeah. Within the, um, within the, uh, within the original Wheel of Time in the series, the reason he did it is exactly what I was was just explaining. He wanted to gender flip the dynamics that most stories Mm -hmm. had. So in most of the countries that we go to in the Wheel of Time, 
women are in right. much greater positions of power even in the village like we get lots of scenes of the boys being like oh the, the, the men's council are doing this but then we cut to the women's circle going yeah well the men think they're doing this but really we're doing this mm-hmm. and he needed to have a reason for why men with the power would be somehow ineffectual mm-hmm. so he said the men's power was tainted uh, and he, he was a physicist he knew logically if they were using the same power source there right. has to be some reason so he was like there has to be a slightly different power source mm-hmm. two different ways of tapping into it gender fluidity is very much not new right gender fluidity has been around for a very very long time there's like medieval ways that you can talk about gender fluidity and in individuals that like you could make an argument as a modern person that like Maybe if they were around today, like non-binary might have been the term that they would have liked to use to refer to themselves. But it's not something that it's like not something that people were really overtly talking about in most circles when Robert Jordan was writing. Right. So, uh, yeah, so we're that's yeah. Uh, so it's essentially just saying, like, I don't fault him for I don't fault him for that not occurring to him as a way in which his system was like excluding people. Um, but it is something that I think is worth thinking about now. To put it into more of a context, you explained to me what non-binary was about three years ago. <laughs> and I like to think that I'm relative as again, I said, I'm relatively woke and relatively feminist, If not that I would ever describe myself. And, but I literally had to ask you in a in, in a private message. It was like, Sarah, just for the question, I was just chatting to somebody there who described you non-binary. What does that actually mean just so I don't fuck it up, like, or don't make mistakes when I'm talking to him? And, like, that's the thing is, like, I would like to think that myself and Robert Jordan, and even though I'm 30 years after him and he would be in his 70s now and I'm in my 40s, we're, we're both physics backgrounds he was in the army my dad was in the army i was raised with that sort of stuff mm-hmm. we have similar backgrounds and 30 years after him mm-hmm. writing these stories i had to ask somebody what non-binary was so it's okay i, I i'm not saying it's past i'm not saying it's right i'm just saying is i understand why he might not have factored that right. into his thing. yeah uh you know and you know and i and i don't want to like speak for those people also of course like i am you know also a cis person and but like i as i said i do I do kind of feel like, you know, I I understand that this wasn't something that was at the forefront of his mind, but it would, you know, but I, and I do think that the show needs to think about it. Ultimately, um, I think that's important that the show thinks about how to handle that. But, um, but yeah, but that essentially like, that means that somebody has to actually just like do the work, right, of figuring out how it's all structured, as opposed to we're going to make this distinction matter when it's convenient for the plot and otherwise kind of ignore it. Like, the answer isn't just to, like, be lazy about it, right? The answer is that actually, like, if you want to make this seem like a more inclusive, less binary, and... uh, uh, you know, less kind of like strict gender role based system, then you need to, you know, just like actually sit down and do some work and have some meetings and do some writing about how to do that. Yeah, it just it just felt incomplete to me. Um, yeah. Because, I, again, if they want to change it, I'm totally on board with them changing it. But if you are going to change it, change it. Like, yeah. like commit to the change. And it, it kind of feels like 
they were worried about making too much of an explicit change mm-hmm. in case it turned off the fans. And the problem with that is they're turning off the fans by not, sorry, the fans of the books, I mean, by not being explicit about it. And I get it if you've well, never also, read the like, books. the fans who are going to be really, really mad about it are the same fans who are already going to be mad by they're other things they've done. So, yeah. you know, you're not exactly. going to, there's some people you're never going to please. And I even get that as, so you were talking about your, your parents watching it. Um, I'm sure they're going to have questions at oh, this yeah. point. Well, why why are the men going crazy? What what's this black stuff and the men's stuff? That's never addressed other than oh, it's the corruption caused by the dark one. And some people will be happy with not having an explanation for that. Okay, mm-hmm. and I get that. But the whole point of Wheel of Time is that it's always explained everything. Like right, it's, that's one of the beauties about the series with fifteen books and. 11,000 pages or 12,000 pages, yeah. whatever it is, you get copious amounts of explanations. That's one of the joys in the series. But uh, look, I don't want to I don't want to harp on about this. I just think that that's one of the main things that they, they yeah. did wrong in the series. Uh, let's so, yeah, go to our Estimatios. So yeah, we've been recording for three hours. Yeah. So, Estimatio. Sarah, how would you rate this on one to five? So I'm actually going to give it a 4.5. I, up until the last episode, really, really enjoyed the, like, if it wasn't for the last episode, I actually might have given it a five. Um, Mm -hmm. There, you know, are certainly critiques to be made, but I loved a lot of the show. I really loved the experience of watching the show up until my frustrations in the final episode. And I find it really, really interesting and enjoyable as an adaptation. And I'm like very, very excited to see where it's going to go. So the 4.5, as I said, given my critiques about the last episode, it's maybe a little bit aspirational and represents my uh, hopes for um, the next season being uh, more like the first seven episodes and less like the last episode. But uh, I am very, I'm very excited about it. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it a 4.5. And I'm going to give it a 3.5. So it works out Mm. about 7 out of 10. And the reason I'm going to go with this is I loved it. Genuinely loved it. I I said, I was chatting to you multiple times during it. It was like, uh, so maybe Sarah will show uh, comments or um, messages for me where I would be texting her on a Friday going, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? You, you go, what about watching it? And Sarah would be like, oh, uh, you know, I'm just doing something. You know, I've got work and stuff. And uh, I'd be, I'd be I, you know, I'd watch it this Sunday. I'd be like, Sunday? How can you leave it this Sunday? Like, that's how up on this show I was. And I, I had some small issues with it. And I understand that there were issues after COVID and, and Barney leaving. And my other problem with that is, and with that excuse is, I think the best episode is episode seven, which came after the COVID break and came after Barney left. Mm-hmm. So if episode seven can be the best episode of the season and it came after all of those problems, episode eight is a huge letdown, right. legitimately deflated what I wanted. So I probably would have given it a four and a half out of five to begin with, or a nine out of 10. And then once I watched that last episode, I like it genuinely left me empty like I think I text you at two o'clock in the morning going I I mean I'm yeah. not even sure how to feel about this just it left me like hollow almost because it felt like people who I up until that point I thought followed the books knew the books understood what the characters were getting at I understand why they were 
hot-shotting some of the storylines and and i i didn't mind them putting in the step and stuff and i, I think it was really emotional really good episodes and then for them to just completely on the last episode just effectively crap the bed it it just kind of ruined it for me it's still a seven out of ten still a three and a half out of five it's still like a good season i would still recommend it to people and i'm still hopeful that hoping that all mm-hmm. of those issues are edited away now the new character who's playing matt i saw him i went explicitly to watch a show that i don't watch to make sure that i could see what he was like mm-hmm. he's good okay in that good, show good. and he seems charismatic which is fantastic because Matt needs to be charismatic. Yes. He seems like a nice guy and he looks like he can do the physicality, so I'm okay with this. So I'm hopeful for season two. Mm-hmm. I just want them to address the same things that we've addressed. Just yeah. just be a little bit more consistent with it. And you don't need to make broad sweeping changes to the story. Right. You And if you do, it's okay to make them. Just commit to them. Like, yeah. like that's why... That's why I think episode five is a triumph. It contains mm-hmm. stuff that never existed in the book. Episode four contains stuff that never existed in the book. And they're yeah. two fantastic episodes. And they're all choices so, that I think really make sense. Like, I see why they made those choices. Yeah, as opposed to a lot of the stuff in the last episode. Commit to the changes and yeah. people will be on board. You're always going to have that minority of assholes who are going on to IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and giving it one out of five stars screw those people they they're not the people who are going to be watching the show and you know what actually they will be watching the show because they're going to complain about it as much as they yeah exactly they can't Facebook complain if they don't watch it so you know they're going to watch it anyway so they're going to watch it so you're fine exactly yeah so ignore the imdb ratings and all this sort of stuff they're making a great show if you if you come this far listening to three hours of us <laughs> talking about this and me getting increasingly more annoyed by as the episodes are on but um yeah it's a really good show. I think they did the first book justice, uh, and that's that's all you can ask as a as a mega fan of a franchise is that it felt like Wheel of Time, and I watched that first season, and it felt like Wheel of Time to me, and mm. that's all I could ever have asked for. The last episode let me down. Um, didn't feel like Wheel of Time, and I didn't understand some of the choices they made. But don't let the last episode be how you judge the entire season. So Yeah, and, and if you combine our ratings, that's, uh, that's an 8 out of 10, which I think is uh, is not entirely unfair. I'd say it's about right. So, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, since we've been recording for three hours at this point, we should probably wrap up. Uh, so, uh, Ollie, are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? Uh, not on the internet, but... Uh, I have taken over, I'm, I'm not sure if it's interim or or full-time, as a co-host on Judging Book Covers with nice. Megan Griffin and Stephanie um, Cortez. So we talk about books. The last book we talked about, or the, 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 the episode which will be up around about the same time this is up, is talking about People We Meet on Vacation, which is a beach read romantic novel, which is so far out of my wheelhouse but I kind of enjoyed uh, and it was fun and it was great. It, those two are fantastic women. So it's always great again. And we're going to add in like a little section where we write like fan fiction of the books from fan. now on. So um, yeah, it, it, so judging book covers and some of my students have a podcast called Criminal Finds where it's two teenagers from Ireland and they're talking about uh, true, true, well, true crime cases from around the world. I give out to them every time they record charming. an episode. 
that they're not smooth enough with that intro and then I just stumbled over saying the name of the podcast and that it's a true crime podcast from around the world so um yeah I apologize girls if you listen to this but if you're three hours into listening to a wheel of time podcast spoken by your physics teacher you really need to get out more um so yeah that's about it criminal fines and judging book covers people listening to the podcast is a good review <laughs> no 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 you guys who are actual listeners and not my students you're fantastic and i love all of you my mm-hmm. students get back to work you got a test tomorrow even though, even if you don't i'm i'm putting one in tomorrow for you no pop quiz hot chat i don't know if i have any students that listen to this if i do you can score points in uh, in class by telling me that you like this better than braveheart uh <laughs> so if you have enjoyed this podcast please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app please rate and review media evil on apple podcasts or your preferred podcatcher platform and i will read new five-star reviews in future episodes please also follow the podcast on twitter at media evil pod and join our facebook group and you can find me on twitter and instagram at sarah if if you have any questions or suggestions i'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com so thank you, Ollie, from briefly returning from your exile to uh, be to co-host the podcast today. Uh, three hours of podcast. I, 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 this is going to be the longest episode ever. Uh, it's not the longest we've talked because, as I said, I cut down. Well, we we released it as two episodes. Yeah, and it's I four cut hours, two hours still. <laughs> but it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff to talk about. Wheel of Time, um, and I, I hope I didn't drone on too much but yeah um thanks sarah it's always an absolute pleasure i i just love hanging out with you anyway so it, it's great even if we weren't ever releasing this i, w- I would have loved to just sit here and talk for three hours about wheel of time with you yes. so um yeah I'm thanks very, very glad much we for got having you. me back on yeah i'm very glad we got to have the conversation in full as a follow-up from some of our uh, our text conversations as we were watching the show uh That's so true. thank you and thank you all oh, for- also oh, and yes. and as i like to do i like to call my shot um as as I'm leaving, so uh, if it, I mean, at some stage in the next few weeks, we should probably talk about Outlander, not mm. Outlander, the TV show with loads of sex involving the girl that I went to school with, Katrina <laughs> Bell, but um, Outlander, the Jim Caviezel movie where it's Beowulf with a space, space. alien. Yes, and also we we have discussed the possibility of talk of uh, whether Indiana Jones is a. Uh, viable subject for this podcast. <laughs> if enough, we are in discussion. Yes, I will. I if we if we can convince Sarah because I think she's a little bit dubious about the idea. But if you guys can get on the Sarah's case and convince her, I would. I mean, we, we can have guests on and That's everything. True. I don't mind. That's true. As long as I don't have to do Crystal Skull, I'll agree to it. And Crystal Skull is obviously is arguably the least medieval. So. It's got aliens. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my job. It's not my job. Perfect. All right. So thank you again. And thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. I can still hear the way that he cried for the ones he was missing. I can still hear the way that he cried for the ones he had lost. Them in the rivers, he felt them in the rain. In dreams, he heard them whisper the truth that is his pain. He caused.
the whole world's breaking. That tortured soul I met in a prison of his making. The man who can't forget.